And good morning. It is a Monday edition of Glenn Clark Radio. I'm Glenn. He's Griffin. A lot to do on the program today. Coming up, our buddy John Mioli, Baltimore Banner, will join us. Orioles do get the sweep of the Royals this weekend. They've won four straight since just the moment where we thought the doom and gloom was setting in when they were trailing on Thursday afternoon. Now, three of those were against the Royals, and the Royals are doo-doo. So I don't know what to make of any of it, but I do know that I like that Gunnar Henderson has totally flipped the switch and probably moved himself right back into the conversation for AL Rookie of the Year. Chat about all of it with our buddy John Mioli coming up in a little bit. Also this morning... Speaking of the Orioles, Baseball America released their new top 100 prospects list last week. Jackson Holiday number two for the time being until Ellie De La Cruz is moved off the list for graduation reasons. They included, it's funny, last week we were trying to figure out who it was with um, Matt uh, Sabatis, but it was Samuel Basayo from Delmarva who cracked their hot or top 100 hot 100 their hot 100 prospects that's what they should call it I'm not a, I'm not opposed to that does hot Billboard 100. still call it the hot 100 I don't know uh, I think they do I don't know I stopped going to Billboard some time ago when I realized I don't know any of the yeah. songs yeah, none of them it. they still call it the hot 100 yeah. what's the number one song in America right now there's zippy You'll chance never guess. I, I, I don't even know if I know I don't know who the artist is yeah you probably won't it's a country artist it's a country. Is it Morgan Wallen? It is Morgan Wallen. Is it, um, so this actually came up at the uh, Trivia World Series. <laughs> is it Last Night? It is Last Night. Okay, so very rare occurrence where I've heard of the number one song in America. Uh, the Trivia World Championships were on Saturday. Jeremy Kahn won, and I'm pretty pissed off about really? it. Wow. I'm pretty sure Jeremy, like... Is he cheating? I, no, I looked at his team. I don't think they're, like, friends. I think he's put together, like, a super team of sorts. Oh, okay. Like, my team so is just some of my buddies, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's like, it's like a European soccer team. They don't yeah, really like each other. Right, I'm, I'm just, pretty sure this is just best. like, exactly right. We need to win trivia. We're here to win. Jeremy's a competitive fella. He, he and I are different in that way. Jeremy, if he's playing football, if he's playing kickball, basketball, whatever it is, he has to win. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm more like, mm, whatever. It's a fun if way I'm to with spend my some friends. time. Like, I know what I'm good at. Like, I'm pretty good at tennis. So, like, I... I should beat you. T- John Proctor has spent the last de- few years desperately trying to get a set off of me and still has not, right? Like, And I want to keep it that way, frankly. like, I'm, I, It's <laughs> something that I'm good at. I shouldn't be dropping sets to Proctor. Um, I'm pretty good at can jam. Ooh. Although I haven't, a- I haven't won our championship in a long time. We host a championship every year at this uh, party that I throw, and I haven't won the championship in like, nine years or something well, like so that. How can so, you say you're pretty good at it? Well, I've also made some questionable decisions about partners. Oh. I used to have a regular partner, and he moved. And we would get together and practice, and we would get together. And, like, it was a whole thing. He was basically living at my house for a little while, which, looking back on it, was odd. I never really understood you what that was all about. You guys just practicing can jamming? Oh, man. When my, my, my first son was born, like, we would put him in the can. <laughs> it's great. Oh, we had a great time. Okay. Um, so I'm pretty good at those things, but I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. Right. And like, I'm the, I don't feel bad that I didn't get some of these. I, I didn't know who the Pulitzer prize winner was in 1982 and 1991. I have no idea how anybody at the bar knew that. You should know that. That's that son of a bitch, Jeremy. Anyway, the, one of the questions. So I left because I wanted to get my Adley Rutschman. Bo- mm. How's the bobblehead? 
So glad you asked. Oh, okay. Took all of 17 hours for the kids to break one of them. Oh, my God. 17 hours. We got two because my father came with me. So we got two. Got there super early. Left the Trivia World Championships. Left my team in peril. They finished, I believe, in seventh place. Left my team in Jeez. peril. Said, sorry, that's the way it's going to go. Because and the I've got a bobblehead. It's bobblehead day. And actually, it was more about the fact that my father like is notoriously early and had planned the day around picking up my sons and meeting me and the whole thing. And so I needed to be you know, cognizant of him, the whole deal. Wake up Sunday morning. The kids, of course, wake up at about six. We, we get home. I put the bobbleheads on the table. I'll deal with them tomorrow, the whole thing. Kids wake up at about six in the morning on Sunday because that's what kids do, right? Like, once the sun's up, we're up. Sun's up, bun's out. You know what I mean? Like, that's the way that it works. So I walk downstairs. And I notice that the box from the bobblehead is open. And I say, oh, this can't be good. <laughs> this can't be good. It's their bobblehead. What are you talking about? I understand. <laughs> it can't be good. And I say, boys, where are the bobbleheads? And the first thing I hear back is, okay, it's not a big deal. <laughs> and I'm ready to start throwing things. And I still don't know how it happened, but one of them, they broke his leg. Oh, man. They broke his leg. My wife was trying to hot glue it back, which is fine for the purpose of like having it on display on the mantle in their room, but certainly not fine for the value of yeah. said bobblehead. Whereas, and I'm not kidding about this, on my way out of the, the game on Saturday, a gentleman was offering $100 for the bobblehead. Wow. Ah! How much, how much would they have been having to offer for you to take them up? No. 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 no, no. We took not the boys sale? to the game. We took the boys to the game. It was part of the deal. That was the way it was. It was all, we had a wonderful day on Saturday. But I couldn't have a better day at the ballpark. My older son, so so Black Panther and Captain America were out in the picnic area in the second that. inning, and my I said to the boys, "All right, you know, if you want to go, we'll go out there." And my older son was like, "No, I want to watch the game." Oh, and I was boy. like, "Wow, <laughs> okay, guy, like th- what a turn we've taken." Like, I'm fine with it, all all on board. So he stayed back with my father, and they watched Gunnar Henderson's home run together, and Adam Frazier make that ridiculous play, and Aaron Hicks with a diving catch. Yeah. I was like, all right, this is something. And uh, the younger son and I went out and met, you know, T'Challa. and Steve uh, Rogers. Oh, oh, Jeremy might not even be able to do today. Oh, oh this son of a out. bitch. Hear what you said in, this, in the first uh All right, message, <laughs> uh, message Rob. See if Rob could do today okay. instead. Yeah, Jeremy's going to the dentist, apparently. Did we not check in with him? We should do a better job of okay. checking in with him on Sundays to make sure. That son of a bitch. All right. By the way, he retweeted it and oh, yeah. then told me he couldn't come on. Oh, what the hell's wrong? He's with just him? trying All to right, get check us, in, uh, see, give if, us the, see if Rob can come on with us. Anyway, if not, maybe Barbalace or somebody. I don't know. We'll figure it. We'll fill his spot with somebody else from the radio station. So or Cordell, I don't care. Whoever, somebody, you go in that order or go whatever order you want to go and go go go. Rob Cordell, Barbalace, right. and see if somebody can do eleven thirty today. All right. Anyway, so the moral of the story is, had a great day at the ballpark. Wonderful day. Bobbleheads, the whole thing. But I had to bail on trivia because. of one of the questions that was asked in the second half of trivia after I left was, can you name the only number one song that this artist had ever had? The first one was Guns of Ro- Guns and Roses. The answer is Sweet Child of Mine. I actually didn't get that correct, but I wasn't really trying. It was a whole thing because I'd already left for the day. So like they sent this to me afterwards. I probably would have figured out. it was. I would have been between Sweet Child of Mine and Welcome to the Jungle. So they got it wrong. 
Uh, I don't know. They didn't tell me what they got wrong and what they got right. They just was trying. To, they were just trying to see if I would know them. Uh, Gwen Stefani, of course, is Hollaback Girl. That made sense. Uh, Abba, Dancing Queen. That's pretty obvious. And then the fourth one was Morgan Wallen. And I'm trying to see if I can get the exact wording of my response. I believe the exact wording of the response was, uh, I only know one Morgan Wallen song, and I think it's called Drunk on You. And then I responded immediately. I said, actually, he has a new one that I've heard. It's called Last Night. I'm not sure if it's number one or not, but I go with that. There you and, go. And yeah, I you, was correct. You been right. so I know. And then yeah. Coolio was the last one, which, of course, was Gangsta's Paradise. So uh, we did not uh, – it, look, it was a tough day. I, I was very, very embarrassed by the fact that I did not know many of the answers to the uh, trivia questions at the Trivia World Championship. I did get uh, – in the first round, the only sports question was what country – in what country was Patrick Ewing born? I did know that one. Um, yeah. Man. Yeah. The United States. No. Trick question. No. Jamaica. Uh, Jamaica. Okay. And then the other sports one is – all right, I'll give it to you. The uh, The other sports question was there are three NBA franchises that have never retired a player's number. Really? Uh, um, and and, uh, and it'd be everybody's retired Bill Russell's number, so that doesn't count. The Wizards. Uh, no, the Wizards have lots of retired numbers. Okay. They have um, uh, Earl the Pearl. They have, I believe, Phil Chenier's number is retired. Elvin Hayes. I'm not going to uh, get this. Wes Unseld's retired. Let's go with. Uh, uh, let's go with the. So you're not thinking logically. I guess not. You're not thinking logically. The logical thing to think about would be, be like the newer teams, right. the teams that haven't the, had a chance to maybe retire some numbers. The the, the Spurs. What? You don't think the Spurs have retired David Robinson's or Tim Duncan's or George Gervin's? Might be Why like too are recent. You just, what are you doing? You're just talking teams with legitimate Hall of Fame players. The Sacramento Kings. Sacramento Kings have Hall of Famers. Chris Webber is a Hall of Famer. Uh-huh. Vladi Divac is even a Hall of Famer. I want to say they might have even retired Pages Stoyakovich's number. Um, the three guesses that I gave. By the way, what a terrible job you've done yeah, with this question. Sorry. You're not even trying. I know. Can we I talk know. about that? Like you're not I, even giving it a thought. The Memphis Grizzlies. Memphis Grizzlies were one of our answers. Okay. As it turns out, they have retired some mid-ass players' <laughs> numbers. That's what makes this question so asinine. They retired like, John Moran already. Nope. There is no way for you to know that the Memphis Grizzlies have retired both Zebo Zach Randolph's number. What? Yeah. And oh, it gets worse. Tony Allen. <laughs> Has his number retired those, by the Memphis those Grizzlies? Those 2010 Grizzlies. I mean, holy f! What an asinine <laughs> question this is. Somehow, I'm supposed to know that the Grizzlies are obsessed with retiring mid-ass player numbers. So yes, the Grizzlies are one of the three teams that we guessed, but not the only of the three teams that we guessed. Maybe you want to guess another one? Um, I, I don't want to say the Pacers. I mean, have you heard of Reggie Miller? Uh, yeah. Like you're you're not thinking. <laughs> you're just the no. Okay, see, they they probably would. Um, man, I because I, I just name a newer team. Name some teams. I don't care what if they're new or old. Name some teams. Just name teams. Uh, you're doing this is bad no, for Rocket, radio. The Rockets would have definitely bad for radio. Rockets just definitely name teams. Retired a lot name teams. No, not the Atlanta Hawks. Name a team. Charlotte Hornets. Charlotte Hornets would be a great guess, yeah. right? Yeah. Why would the Charlotte Hornets have retired anyone's number? Lamello no Ball. Hall of Famer. Well, they had a whole history before that. Muggsy yeah. Bogues, Larry Johnson. So it turns out, sadly, 
Bobby Fills was a player who died in like a car crash while he was playing, and for some reason they decided to retire his number because he passed away. No offense, may he rest in peace. Thoughts to Bobby Fills, but for F's sake, how is anyone supposed to know that? So the Pelicans. Great guess. Thanks. No chance. Except apparently they retired Pete Maravich's number. Uh, he never played for the New Orleans Pelicans. Because he played at LSU? or Because he played also, for, I believe, for the New Orleans Jazz. Oh, like, okay. He never All played right, for then, the franchise. Then the it Utah. Would, it, 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 you really, you're going to say the Utah Jazz? Carl Malone? Oh, yeah, John yeah. Okay. Stockton? Okay, sorry. You're not good at this. I know, I'm not. I'm not good at thinking the of The three NBA teams, teams, by the way, the three teams that have not retired a number have candidates just as obvious. The Brooklyn Nets. The three teams that have not retired a number are the Orlando Magic, mm. home to Shaquille O'Neal, so player who put the franchise on the map, and for some bizarro reason, they've never retired his number. Why? I'll... I have no earthly idea. Could not possibly know. But they have never retired a number. Who else, you ask? The Los Angeles Clippers. Now, again, mm, okay. the irrelevance of the franchise would make you think, like, okay, I can per- perhaps understand it. But let's not pretend like there haven't been great players who have played for the Los Angeles Clippers over the years. And, in fact, some that you perhaps even associate. Like, Bill Walton was there for seven years. Not have his number retired. He played more. Bill Walton played more for the Clippers than he played for any other franchise. And yet, does not have his number retired by the Clippers. (sighs) That makes sense. That's something we should understand. Sure. Why not? And then the third, again, not a Hall of... Well, maybe he is in the Hall of Fame at this point. I wonder if he is in the Hall of Fame or not. Is he? The third one... Probably going to go in next year. All right, yeah, because he was still playing all that uh, a couple years ago. The third one... Denver Nuggets. Nope. Okay. Alex English is definitely retired oh, by the Denver okay. Nuggets. The Toronto Raptors, uh, who I have no idea why they would wait to retire Vince Carter's number because reasons... The dumbest question that's ever been asked in the history of trivia. Yes, that was more important so to lead you, off today's show. Yeah, that <laughs> was very important. So stupid, did you get any of those right? Questions. Nope, 0 for 3. Mm. 0 for 3. Went Grizzlies, Hornets, and Pelicans. Mm. Stupid, stupid question. I want to uh, find out who our senators are because I need to get in touch with them to deal with this problem. It is an abomination. Final day is for you to get into our contest. We are giving away... Four tickets to all of the area's minor league baseball teams, plus an Easy Pass Maryland on-the-go transponder preloaded with $25 and a $50 gas card from Royal Farms. But you got to get the pressboxonline.com slash contest right now in order to sign up, and you only have until Wednesday. Wednesday is the deadline. Must be 18 or older. Get in now, and you can be a winner. I don't have a lot to say. That's the truth about the Orioles sweeping the Royals. I, I, what I would say is it's a good thing they did. I, I sometimes, Reed and I talk about this all the time because we're together on Sunday. Sometimes when a team has taken the first two games of a series, you kind of don't care about Sunday. And I agree with that when you're facing a good team. When you're facing the Royals and you've gone through a stretch where you've been fairly mediocre you need to make up for that by making sure you take care of your business against the bad teams. 
There was no reason for the Orioles to have lost a game. Now, you could say the reason why the Orioles could have lost a game is because they were putting out a lineup that included, you know, Hicks, O'Hearn, Lester, and McCann. Batting, right? O'Hearn batting fourth, right? That was... Now, again, for what it's worth, those guys are producing. Like, we, we, can't, we can't ignore that. I don't know what we make of it. I, I also think it would be a mistake to assume it's going to continue... Maybe for like one of them, it could continue. McCann's not producing. That's un- he's yeah. definitely not producing. But the other guys are producing. I think it would be a mistake for the Orioles to say, "Well, the- we can be sure that these guys could be viable bats for us for the rest of the season." I don't know what they are. And Aaron Hicks, as an extra outfielder who doesn't have to play every day, maybe isn't the end of the world right now. He's playing every day because he's a hot hand. This is the hold up, let him cook thing that we were talking about on Would You Rather Wednesday last week, which is hilarious. I It's frustrating because it does feel like it compounds how long they can wait on Colton Kowser and Jordan Westberg. And there is a part of me that says those guys are more important. You need to get them here and let them take their lumps. Because the assumption is that most guys are going to come up and struggle for a little bit, and you want to get through that as quickly as you can so that the struggles are maybe coming in June or July and not in, you know, September or October. So I'm conflicted about this. I'm conflicted about, I, I, because they're playing, I want them to do well. But the more they do well, the less argument there is that these the next group of guys needs to be right. here. And the next group of guys to me is vastly more important, and I want to get them here. So it's a weird feeling that I have where I'm not rooting against Aaron Hicks. I'm not rooting against Josh Lester. But I think there is a limitation to what those guys are going to be able to do for you for an entire season. I don't think they're going to be the difference in whether or not you're able to get over the hump in September, and I would like to get on with it with these other guys and get through whatever struggles there are going to be and get to the part where they can be contributing as a major league player. Conflict. Really, it's a conflict. All that being said, you're not going to complain about winning a series. You're certainly not going to complain about sweeping a series, and you did what you needed to do against a bad baseball team. The couple of things that really jump out to me, obviously the Gunnar Henderson thing. It's This had to happen. Any, As we said, I, I said this many times, any path to the Orioles doing that thing that they have to do or that we want them to do, which is like winning something of significance, winning, competing in this division, you know, doing something in the postseason, any path to that had to involve a turnaround at the plate from Gunnar Henderson. And what we kept saying is, we were so encouraged by his on-base percentage that we believed it was only a matter of time. That unlike Grayson Rodriguez, who I think we were all on board with sending back down, we were never really talking about that with Gunnar Henderson. Maybe focus him on one position. We talked about some various things, but we didn't want him sent down because we saw enough in his plate discipline to feel comfortable that the hits would come. And boy, have they come. Um, you can use any, in the last 30 days, Gunnar Henderson is hitting 321. The truth is, his on-base percentage actually is maybe dipped a little bit, 361, which you'd say, hey, that's pretty good, I'll take that, yes, but the disparity for Gunnar Henderson between on-base percentage and batting average was significantly more before that point. It's just one of those ironic things. OPSing over 1,000, six home runs, 12 extra base hits, 14 RBI. Our buddy Tim Barbalist uh, compiled those numbers on Twitter. 
but you can get them at MLB.com as well. Point being, that had to happen. Gunnar Henderson becoming the player that we believed him capable of being had to happen for the Orioles to be able to sustain competition in the AL East. The other thing that jumps out at me that we have to recognize at some point is that it's not just that Tyler Wells is pitching well. It's that Tyler Wells, in some capacities, is pitching like one of the best pitchers in the American League. Tyler Wells, 0.85 whip. 0.85. Is the best in the American League. He's now made 35 career starts over the last couple of seasons with a career 0.99 whip. Now, again, there's still some things there that we have to be trepidatious about. There's a innings limit that's likely still to have to be dealt with this season. There's, you know, I, he's never really pitched an entire season as a starting pitcher, and you wonder if at some point the league will start making adjustments. But we're deep, we're 35 starts in to his career as a starter, and he's pitching to a sub-one whip. That's really remarkable. I want to be careful because what that might sound to you like is what I'm saying is maybe the Orioles don't need a top-of-the-rotation starter. No. On on multiple levels. One, we can't be certain that this is Tyler Wells' story for the next three years. And two, even this year, as I said before, they're going to have to deal with the innings thing at some point. He's still someone who's never pitched more than 103 innings. And by the way, he's coming up on that in, you know, maybe a month and a half. But we got to recognize it, and we have to talk about it in context because Tyler Wells is becoming a very significant part of the story for the Baltimore Orioles and their chances. Let's talk a little more Orioles this morning from the Baltimore Banner. He's back with us. It's always good to catch up with our buddy John Mioli, who's here on GCR. John, it's Glenn. Great to chat with you, my friend. Thank you for taking a couple of minutes for us this morning. Happy to do it. Good morning. Um, so I want to start with Gunner, right? Like, I, I, we always knew this that, that something was coming. Unlike other guys, you say that just doesn't look right. Even when Gunner was struggling, you could point to his on-base percentage and say he's got a plate discipline that's going to allow him to make this work. He's not going to have to go back down. He'll get there. But can you pinpoint like what's changed? that has allowed Gunnar Henderson to look more like the player that we thought he was going to be when he was called up a year ago? Well, I, I think there's a few things. Um, you know, I was, I was in the not, not panicking camp. Um, you know, I did like a breakdown probably a month in, and he just wasn't really swinging at anything right outside the heart of the strike zone, which is really, you know, it's a nice way to get to the big leagues and get nice swing decision scores every night in your, on your app and <laughs> that the Orioles disseminate their swing decision scores with on the minors. But mm. like, those are good quality pitches in the major leagues and major league pitchers pitch on the edges and throw pitches to you that you don't want to swing at, but are strikes. And it just like didn't work out for him. I feel like other, you know, saying this a day after he hit a ball at 700 million (laughs) feet um, and one hops, the warehouse is, is, you know, is a little bit of a, you know, contradiction, but I feel like you're seeing a lot more balls, you know, 
those types of balls where he just uses his hands and his natural ability and, and goes, you know, takes a pitch on the outer half and just smacks it the other way for a home run for extra bases. Like those are, those are something that a supremely talented person can do. Um, and it takes those same skills to that. It takes to lay off those pitches to swing at them. And he's just reapplying them and getting, getting really, really good results on it. It's impressive to see. I asked this question, um, remembering that of course you're, we know you're a big Jorge Mateo guy. Um, guys have hot months, right? Like that happens. What you're describing, it sounds like there's more reason for us to be confident that what we're seeing of late from Gunnar Henderson is more sustainable and that this is more likely the guy than the guy that we saw a month ago. Um, broadly, yes. Um, you know, I saw somewhere that he's got like a 125 or so, like, WRC plus, I believe 125. It's in that range. It's close to Adley Rutschman. And like, that's what good players do. They can have a month where they're bad, but still getting on base, but then have a month where they're really, really good. And the average is, is in a really high place. Um, you know, I don't know if he's going to be this forever, but I think it's really encouraging, you know, given what he went through earlier in the season that he was able to turn around this quickly. And let's remember, you know, he, he's, the Orioles moved him quicker than they move most people through the minors. There's still developmental points to be there. He doesn't, he still hasn't seen a lot of left-handed pitching in his career. You know, there's, there's ways for him to continue improving. So I think that, you know, given his age, given his aptitude, you know, there might be lean stretches going forward, but you're not going to be looking at, you know, these incredible peaks and like, below the earth valleys that, that you might see with other players let's talk about tyler wells and and i was just talking about him before you came on and i it's, it's sort of like the old i love doing it in this context how do we talk to our kids about tyler wells how do i explain someone who i know there's still reason to to not you know just assume this is definitely his story but my god he's pitching to a 0.85 whip this season that's insanity like how do we get yeah. context to what Tyler Wells is doing and what he might be capable of being in the next year or two in figuring out his place in the championship caliber roster the Orioles are trying to put together. It, I mean, it, it, the simple answer is, you know, as long as he's doing it, it works. Yeah, um, sure. But, but, but I, I dug into that, you know, a little bit last week. And, you know, it's, the whip is, you know, insane. The fact that he's able to keep guys off base and the way he has is, is, really for the last two years as a starter is really impressive, but like just how he's doing it um, in terms of striking guys out more this year, he's using his four seamer a lot more uh, with two strikes. And that's a really, really good pitch. Um, you know, people who know and, and can talk about these things better than I can, will tell you that's like, it's like an elite, you know, four seam fastball in terms of its movement. Um, he also has a lot of, of really impressive weapons to get guys out with. And he's really consistent. Like that's what it takes you see the other Orioles starters who might've been more touted, you know, a, a Dean Kramer, a Kyle Bradish, this is no knock on those guys, but like Tyler Wells just doesn't have the inning where he gives up four runs. Um, you know, he has six innings or pitches into the sixth inning and they're all good. He doesn't have, you know, four plus innings where he's like, you know, unhittable and, and that one inning where he doesn't look like he's going to get out of the inning. Um, and I think that is an incredibly valuable skill. And you're seeing the value of someone who could do that on a nightly basis or every five every five game basis to have that consistent. That's what this team needs. Um, you know, they might need a, like a, you know, a frontline starting pitcher, but if you can just consistently give them something they can expect the way that Tyler Wells is, Cal Gibson is, that's really, really valuable. And I think that 
I think, you know, as you mentioned, he's basically a full season's worth yeah. of starts into his starting career in the big leagues. And like, this is what he's by and large been able to do. And it's pretty impressive. Uh, John Mioli from the Baltimore Banner is with us here on GCR. John, the other, you know, on the other side of it, we, we talked so much at the beginning of the year about Grayson Rodriguez and an innings limit. But, like, the t- how do you handle the Tyler Wells thing, right? Like, this is even more critical at this point because, you know, he is coming off a season in which he only pitched 105 innings. Like, I, he's your best starter. What do the Orioles do in order to address this? Because I, I don't know how many innings you can really think that you can tack on to 105 this season. Can you go 160? Can you go 100? Is 170 an option? Um, you know, I, I, I would say probably – I would say increasing by like 50 would seem like a, a lot and also seem like reasonable, okay. but, but, you know, and there are, there are a lot of reasons, you know, that those starts that they've had in the pace they're playing, you know, hundred win baseball through, through 60 something games is valuable, but like, and they're going to need to sustain that given all the talent in the American league. But like, I, I look at something like that and I'm sure they're sweating that a little less, you know, if they have to skip Tyler Wells for, for a week, if they have to skip him for two weeks, um, shuffle that like, what they're doing now is building a cushion for that. I, I think that it's going to be a really challenging time in, in, in watching and following the Orioles when some of these pitch limits and these inning limits kind of come up and need to be managed in the second half of the season. It's not going to be fun. Um, but, but you're doing it for, you know, for the player's health and you're doing it for the sake of the long-term future of the team, as long as they don't completely keep their eyes, you know, on 2024 and 2025 and do things to help this team in the here and now as they're doing that too I think it's going to be okay but but I don't think you can just let you know a guy like him rip as big as he is as strong as he is um it doesn't seem like the best idea to go too too far over like a 140 150 to me I I understand that and that's about I get it I I don't know if you're pushing it you're trying to get to the playoffs I Oh man, that is a difficult thing. And to your point, whether it's skipping and maybe backs up by like just because Tyler Wells is pitching very you know well, no pun intended, doesn't mean that you don't need another real you know higher in the rotation type of starter if for no other reason than because you got to deal with this innings thing. Um, I want to talk about Ryan Mountcastle, John, because I know the word is that he's under the weather, and I I'm not trying to do like a Alex Jones, you know, they're turning the frogs gay type of bit, right? Like, I'm not trying to be full tinfoil hat, but it, it, it does seem interesting that it's coming at a time that I think a lot of us were starting to think about whether or not Ryan Mountcastle was definitely still going to be a everyday player long term and whether or not the Orioles should start thinking about scenarios in which he isn't necessarily an everyday player. And I'm not trying to to, to cast aside Ryan Mountcastle, but like there are difficult decisions that have to be made about, you know, um, if I channel my inner Randy Edsel, going from good to great as a baseball team. Where where does Ryan Mountcastle fit in with all of this, knowing that he is a viable, you know, 30 home run guy as a big league hitter, but the trade offs for that are so severe and significant that I, I I don't know whether or not you can have Ryan Mountcastle as your middle of the order hitter for a championship caliber team. Yeah, and and I, and I think I think a lot of that just comes down to like you know, if the Orioles had the choice right now to acquire whether it's through trade, through draft, through you know a waiver claim, a Ryan Mountcastle type, like would they do it? Um, and given you know we know what he can produce and we know he's you know 
we know that when he's on, he can hit the ball a mile, but he swings at everything. Um, that has not really changed. You know, they've told me in the past that his swing decision score has improved um, over the last year. And, you know, I'm, I'm largely a credulous human being, and I believe that, but I, I couldn't find, I couldn't identify that with my own eyes or digging through baseball savant if I, if I, if I tried. Um, I, I think that you've seen, you know, and you've seen, you know, guys not so much anymore uh, in this season, but Anthony Santander last year improved some of those things the Orioles like in terms of swing decisions and walking more. And, and, you know, he, he's around and he gets a chance to keep doing that. Austin Hayes this year is someone who's really, really improved that. It's taken a while. Um, you know, he's also in his, in the prime of his career. So like, this is the type of thing that should happen. Um, but I think that, I think that as you're evaluating Ryan Mountcast produce like future, he needs to produce to, to, to be here. And, you know, I'm not sure, I'm not sure that the day to day, excuse me, of, of, of how he's feeling and, and what's going on there. But, but I think that there's going to be a time like when, whether it's today, whether it's, you know, this week where he comes back and is feeling better, like the microscope's going to be on because it, it's been a while since he's been the best version of himself. And I think they're probably wondering when that's going to come back at this point. And I think you have to. And again, I, I think it's in the context of what we know is coming. And, you know, hopefully Heston Kerstad is that legitimate middle of order, middle of the order bat that we've been looking for. But I think the the other complicated part of it, I was acknowledging John, and like you know that I'm, I'm I walk a very fine line because I, you know, I do try to be a whatever level of reporter. I don't even know what you call me, but I I don't hide from the fact that I grew up here and I grew up rooting for these teams and I want them to win, and I'm conflicted by watching Ryan O'Hearn and Josh Lester and Aaron Hicks perform because it's remarkable and it's a good story, but I don't know how sustainable it is, and it does feel like as long as they're performing, there's less pressure to bring up some of these other guys, and there's the part of me that says, I think you need to get these guys here to let them struggle right now because they're going to be an important part of this story, whether it's Kowser or Westberg, and and you need to get through the, the adjustment period so that adjustment period isn't, say, in September when the bloom is off the rose of a Josh Lester or a Ryan O'Hearn. How, how do all of these pieces fit in the coming weeks and months for the Baltimore Orioles. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I've been dealing with some of those same things, you know, not from here, but like I have no one who, no one who's read me or ever talked to me knows like would, would, would accuse me of being like unbiased in like what I believe in mm-hmm. and what I think is right. And good. Um, you know, I have spent a lot of time wondering like, look, like I'm evaluating this team that's on a hundred wood pace. I'm like, well, this expected thing is this. And it's like, they, they play the game on the field and like what we're yep. seeing every night, whether it's, whether it's Aaron Hicks or, or, or Ryan O'Hearn, like, I think that, I think that one of the things that, you know, that this organization has done really well over the last five years is like own their ability to like find value at the margins. And whether that's for a week or a month or, or, or a season, they are, they're doing that in these cases. And it's difficult for me personally to like rationalize that happening at the expense of prospects who you know I think are talented and I think that I'm feel confident that they think are talented some more than others and knowing what could what they could have here which is like a very very impactful homegrown lineup and knowing the potential for that and knowing how valuable that can be you know I think they view you know they don't view very differently, like on a 
I don't want to say dollars and cents, but on a basic level, like a 28 year old guy making the minimum is not, is no different than a 23 year old guy making the minimum. You're still getting that production for 700 grand. So like, what does it matter if it's a guy who's on the top 10 prospect list versus somebody who is going to come up and have like an OPS that starts with a nine? Like, like if if it's, if it's happening, it's happening. And it's challenging for me to wrap my head around it. I've been, I've been trying to figure out a way to articulate that. I'm talking through it with you here, but, but I mean, they are clearly only interested in, in getting the value, most value out of the players they have here right now. And they know that, you know, they know that the value exists on the farm and they're just not tapping into it right now. It's interesting. I, I, it is a very interesting. And I, I, the one thing, John, is I would say that I start to sense some frustration maybe from some of those guys about it. And I know that that doesn't like that. It, it's not the singular thing that matters to them because, you know, what are you going to do about it? Right. Like it's it's like J.K. Dobbins threatening to hold out like, dude, you're a running back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what are you going to yeah. do? Um, but I, I don't think it doesn't matter either. I do think that at some point you get a reputation for being the team that is and this was you know a thing that existed for a long time in Baltimore that is is setting guys back a little bit and not letting them start their clock at a point where it's an appropriate time and if i'm you know specifically those guys i'm probably starting to feel that right now which is hey i i have a a limited amount of time in which i can make a lot of money playing this game of baseball and i feel like you're setting me back in starting that process and I'm not trying to suggest that means that, like, these guys aren't going to come up and try or it's going to be poisonous, but I just don't think it's a nothing in the conversation. Yeah, and, you know, I got a lot of, I got a lot of uh, feedback from the organization around the Grayson Rodriguez stuff. Um, you know, some of it seemed like, it, it, you know, some of it I took, you know, with a grain of salt. Some of it I took at face value. And, like, you know, they view, they view um, decisions on like is there something still to be gained by being in the minors right um is it harming player development if this person is is this harming this player's development if they're still in the minors and you know you can go case by case around the norfolk roster and 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 kind of make that determination from an outside view but i'm sure i'm I'm sure their view is yes there's something to be gained here and it's not as if you know you know at four o'clock or 3 30 every day like you and when the lineup gets tweeted out, like it probably seems like this is all terrible and these players need to be here. And then at nine o'clock when the Orioles are winning and everything's fine, like it, it doesn't feel, it does, yep. it doesn't feel that yep. way anymore. And it's really, it's really, you know, it's, 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 it's a fascinating dynamic. You know, I, I come at it from a very specific uh, <laughs> angle and set of beliefs. So it's, it's, it's hard for me to wrap my head around too, but, but I do wonder you know, I think I think these players ultimately, I think they have a good understanding. The guys down in Norfolk know that, like, whether it's here or somewhere else, like, I'm going to be in the big league soon. So, like, I can either proud about it or I could just keep hitting and like and, and make sure that that happens sooner rather than later. Um, and and I and I admire that in a lot of them. At John Mioli on Twitter is how you follow him. The BaltimoreBanner.com uh, wrote a great column last week about the need for the fan. Again, ironically, ahead of. The fact that they were going to have this great weekend, but I get it, and I agree with you about the need for the front office to try to fortify what the Orioles have been doing and, of course, also doing his Arms on the Farm series. John, always appreciate you, man. Thanks for spending the time with us this morning. Let's talk again soon, all right? Sounds great. Talk to you, man. It's John Mioli with us here on GCR. appreciate him taking the time for us. I, I I don't want to make it sound like I'm down, 
By the way, today's show brought to you by your local Toyota dealer, buyatoyota.com. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a range of models and trim lines, so you can choose the perfect Tacoma to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. I'm not trying to... I don't know that this is all going to blow up. I think that it there is danger in overreacting to performance against the Royals. I don't know that that's immediately translatable. Now, I know that, like, you know, Toronto, maybe, while they're not world beaters on paper, that's still a really good baseball team. In Chicago, I know it's been it's been difficult of late. Like, this, this is not the most daunting part of the Orioles' schedule. But specifically in the context of trying to stay in contention in the American League East, I think you're going to need backup. I think you're going to need to fortify your lineup a little bit. And I I just don't know that these guys are going to be able to get you past maybe a few weeks. And to say that's fine, because right now they are, well, they are in context. We feel a certain way today because of what the Orioles did over the course of their last four games. But we're ignoring that before that, we were talking about a stretch of, what was it, 9 out of 12 where they scored three runs or fewer? We're kind of choosing to pretend like that didn't happen because we're happier about how the weekend went. And I'm going to try to tell you to not be happy about how the weekend went. But it all matters in context. And I think there's every reason to still have concern about the Orioles' offense big picture just because looking on paper, how many how many bats in the Orioles' lineup do you feel very good about being quality for the entirety of the year? Probably like two. Right? Rutschman. And Santander. Santander. Well, Gunnar Henderson at this point, I think. Yeah. I think you can put into that conversation. Mullins went healthy. Mullins went healthy, right? And Santander, you're kind of putting a qualification on it of like, you're. Austin Hayes is close. I think Austin Hayes, you know what? I would argue that we're Austin that Hayes. Point where we were last year. Right. Yeah. Like, is worthy of being in that conversation, but. To your point, it's the, I feel like I've seen this before, and I I don't know if I can, you know, make the same assumption. But I get it. Austin Hayes at this point this season probably deserves, at least as, if I'm going to put Gunnar Henderson into the conversation, he deserves to be in the conversation too. So you're going to say, well, you just came up with five guys yeah. and a six when Mullins was healthy. But again, I'm squinting a little bit on all of that. Like how many, they all come with a bit of a qualification. Like, Rutschman you feel great about because he's Adley Rutschman, but let's not pretend like Adley Rutschman is, you know, legitimate power, middle-of-the-order bat. He's He does certain things, sees pitches, works at bats, at, a, at an ungodly level. His actual production is quality. You would like to have someone else that was a more consistent, high-level offensive performer in your lineup. They don't really have that. They're imperfect. And I'm not telling you that Colton Kowser or Jordan Westberg will be the long-term solution because I couldn't possibly know that. But I'd like to, to kind of skip ahead to that part of the movie. Um, and I don't think that it's... I think there's danger in falling in love with Josh Lester when... Maybe we're wrong. Maybe Josh Lester will prove to be, yeah. you know, maybe Ryan O'Hearn is Steve Pierce, right? Like, I, I maybe they are. 
but I think it's a heck of an assumption to make. When, and I, when the ceiling for guys like Colton Cowser and right, Jordan Westberg seems is, to be here. Seems to be significantly yeah. higher. And I get it. They're making the decisions they're making, and that's fine. And look, you know, Grayson Rodriguez, to the point, they didn't want to have him up here to start the season, and we kind of understand maybe a little bit more of why. Gunnar Henderson, they were aggressive with when they called him up, and that's paying off for them. That even the bad was still good enough because he was getting on base. So to say, you know, if if the argument is trust them, like they've earned that, yes, but it's always going to be conflicted, and it's not Mike Elias' fault, but it's always going to be conflicted against a history that the Baltimore Orioles have of trying to manipulate service time. And... It, you can say it's not fair to them because Mike Elias didn't make those past decisions, but that's the reality. It's what we know in this city. And arguably, it's kind of what makes sense from a business perspective. So there's conflict there, too. I, I As long as Ryan O'Hearn and Josh Lester are here, I hope they produce. I hope they perform. But... Am I confident that it's going to continue or that we wouldn't go right back into a span of, you know, nine games out of 12 where they score three or fewer runs? Nope, I'm not. I, I'm not even, like, I, you could argue that Aaron Hicks has more of a track record, right? Like, you can yeah. argue that. He's a th- consistent big league hitter. Right, that, well, consistent would be a dicey word, but he's he's been a consistent at some point. Not mm-hmm. he is, but he's been. And that maybe they're tapping into something. Maybe there is something to be said for just getting away from the sweat box that is being in New York has benefited him. Perhaps, but again, making the assumption of that, I don't think I'm ready to do that. And we got to talk about the Ryan Mountcastle thing. Like, we really do. I I don't know that it's definitely been, like, all, all they're saying is he's under the weather. What has it been? Five days at this yeah. point? I mean, he's been out of the lineup since Thursday, right? Was he in the lineup? Was he in the lineup on Thursday? I don't, I don't think, think he was, he was in the lineup yeah. on Thursday. He definitely didn't play any of the three games this weekend. Bro, I know that. I don't yeah. think he was in the lineup on Thursday either. And I'm not saying that. I, again, it it sounds like I'm I'm being a conspiracy theorist, and I don't <laughs> want to be that guy. He was in the lineup Thursday. He right? was in the lineup he went on over Thursday. Four. Man, I don't remember him being in the lineup yeah. on Thursday. That's so funny. Three, all right. three strikeouts and four at that. All right, so it's not as – all right. You know what, though, but that – it certainly makes – was he out of the lineup another day this week? Um, I, I want to say one of the Milwaukee games he yeah. must not have been in. And maybe I'm just sort of drawing those two things together and making it seem like it's been yeah, longer. Yeah, Tuesday he was not in the lineup. He was not in the lineup on Tuesday. All right, so I'm just kind of combining two things. Mm. Yeah, look, I, I got to be careful. It, it certainly you can you can have a, a bit of an illness and be out for right, three days. Right. Like that's not all that crazy. Danny Coulomb had something too. They said Correct. so. Maybe there really is something. But didn't Coulomb? He was available. Didn't he at least warm up at one point this weekend? Don't I remember him seeing. Um, I know, I know, it was like he was unavailable Friday, right. and then they said he he might be available Saturday. I, I all right, maybe, what maybe all right, whatever. I you know what? This is on me. This is on me. I'm I'm talking out of my ass. But no, if it's just three days, of course, you can be under the weather. You can just be under the weather for three days. But it does run into, it runs into a time where a bigger conversation is needed about Ryan Mountcastle. It's interesting. This happens at a point at which 
they've got to figure out exactly what Ryan Mountcastle's story is. Is Ryan Mountcastle really an everyday middle-of-the-order hitter? Is he more of a platoon bat? You know, like, he can hit against righties, and I get it, that's a good thing to be because you're going to face more righties and you're going to face lefties, but he can never really play against lefties. It was the other way around, if... Unless you're making a hypothetical. What am I? What What was I? What he, did I? What did I say? He hits lefties better. You You, you said he. Well, hits this I is that is what his career numbers say. That is what his. I thought I thought that was what this what is uh what is 2023 numbers. Yeah, I think it's what well. his 23 numbers say, but I don't know that it's what his career numbers say for Mountcastle. Let's let me double check on that and make sure. I'm pretty sure for his career he's like a 170 hitter. Um, against uh, against lefties, he is a. Yeah, I mean, no, he's a, he's actually, you know what, there's not really much of a difference for his career. For his career, he's a 265 hitter against lefties and a 251 hitter against okay. righties. So. This this season, he's 190 against le- or righties. Righties, and what is he and against lefties? against lefties, 311. So, I, look, it is, <laughs> to your point, if that's the answer, then it's the less desirable of the two. Yeah. But still valuable. Like, it's it's valuable to have platoon bats. But it would be disappointing both for Ryan Mountcastle and the Orioles if we're we're I, if we're saying Ryan Mountcastle is no more than a platoon bat. Presumably, he would like the opportunity to be somewhere else, maybe on a bad team where he could try to work his way through and improve his numbers and prove himself to be a more capable all-around hitter. But I don't know if there's a team that's in love with that to the point where they actually be willing to give you something for Ryan Mountcastle. Like I don't know that. You know, name bad team that could look at him as a reclamation project. Yeah. <laughs> Royals and A's. I mean, yeah, I don't know that the Kansas City Royals would say we'll give you an actual prospect to try to. And they have Vinny Pasquatino, so yeah, that's true. Although he just got hurt, I'm not sure how serious that's. And the and the and the the Pirates. I mean, like I I don't know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I just don't know that there's a team that would be so enamored in order to give you something of value as much as you just kind of be giving up on him and you would prefer to say, no, you're going to be a platoon bat before we would just give up on you to let you go somewhere else. And I don't think you would do that in the middle of a season anyway. But at some point, again, this question has to be asked about Ryan Mountcastle and whether he's an everyday bat, particularly as you're trying to find room for these other guys. If part of the answer is Ryan Mountcastle is only going to hit against lefties moving forward, that opens up more opportunities for calling up and moving guys around when you want to play, you know, Jordan Westberg every day. There is another spot. Anthony Santander can move to first base. You can figure all those things out. O'Hearn is a lefty, so you play him at first base against the righties. I mean, and, and you've created and one worked. one guy between the two. Again, that doesn't really address the need to try to find at-bats for a Westberg yes, or a Kowser, yeah, yeah. but – it does seem to make sense that, like, maybe that's the way that you go about doing it and say, hey, man, sorry, I, we can't leave this guy out of the lineup. He's producing too much, so you are going to have to split at bats with him until you prove to be something more than what you've been. Today's show, oh, I already did that. When we come back in, a couple other things from the weekend I want to get into. Then Carlos Colazzo from Baseball America is going to join us. they got a new top 100 prospects list out. Jackson Holiday is number two. We'll talk about that just a few minutes here on GCR. 
The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Luke Jackson looks at the pipeline of talent still to come for the Orioles. Diving in on last year's number one pick, Jackson Holiday, and other top prospects like Colton Kowser, Heston Kerstad, Kobe Mayo, and more. Also inside, Todd Karpovich profiles Orioles pitcher Kyle Gibson. And Bo Smolka breaks down what progress would mean for the team's 2022 draft picks in their second pro season. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. The All-America Senior Game, powered by New Balance, will be back at Johns Hopkins Homewood Field on July 29th. The most decorated girls and boys lacrosse players in the country have been invited to play in what is the premier lacrosse event of the year. Every college coach wants their players in this game, and if you dream of being in this game, you start by trying out for one of your regional underclass teams this summer. The best against the best. Get your tickets now at allamericalacrosse.com. Costas Inn has been serving up delicious steamed crabs for over 50 years. Lately, the crabs you want to eat when the weather warms up have gotten harder and harder to get. So get your crab-eating game plan in place. Make sure to stick this number on your fridge, 410-477-1975. Call ahead and reserve the size crabs you want. You may be able to walk in, but you may also be disappointed at the size or maybe even get shut out altogether. So call ahead, have a plan, and then arrive on your crab-eating vacation. Costas also has delicious crab soup and crab cakes. The Costas Inn at 4100 North Point Boulevard. For more than 50 years, they've been satisfying crab lovers in and around Baltimore. Make the most out of every day in your Toyota RAV4. Available in hybrid or gas-only models. A RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. Check out PressBoxOnline.com every day to find daily winners and betting advice from Jeremy Kahn. And if you want some advice about life decisions that you probably shouldn't make, here's Glenn Clark. All right, back in here on GCR. PressBoxOnline.com slash offers, as always, is the place to turn for all of the best offers, like $150 in bonus bets from DraftKings. After you place your first $5 bet, see this and other great sportsbook offers at PressBoxOnline.com slash offers. Tonight, Game 5 of the NBA Finals, the Heat up 3-1. Sorry, the Heat are not up 3-1. They are down 3-1, of course. Um, I, game It was a weird Game 4 because, like, for a moment, it seemed like the Jokic thing was dramatic, right? For a moment, it seemed like, oh, my God, the series could really completely turn in this moment and then you realize not that long after that that he was fine and yet the story again wasn't really about Jokic like that's been kind of the fact that we're talking about Christian Braun right or Bra- no he goes by Brown right? it's they've spelled saying, Braun they've been saying Brown but on, it's Brown yeah it's so weird because Mike Green's so like weird. the other Brown right correct, like- Bruce Brown right um it, it was it was kind of a weird you know game four in that way It has certainly not been like a classic NBA Finals by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think there's any world in which it doesn't end tonight. Although, and Reed and I talked about this yesterday, even if it didn't end tonight, it wouldn't suddenly make me feel any differently. I would think it'd be just sort of an anomaly and Denver would go right back to Miami and win game six and close it out on Thursday instead. But... We've, we have, to be fair, we have dismissed Miami many times and written them off and 
Who knows? I, do they try to go like start Kevin Love, get more minutes out of him because he was actually helpful? I, it's bold. I think they maybe try to push it with Duncan Robinson's minutes because he's been helpful. I think that's the disappointing part for Miami is the guys that the guys that really helped get them to this point have just not come through in the finals the way that you would have hoped. Caleb Martin. Caleb Martin specifically, yes, is the high the guy that could have been the Eastern Conference Finals MVP. He's just not come through for you in the finals the way that you would hope. And again, that's maybe not unreasonable. It's Caleb Martin that we're talking about. But I'm sure that's disappointing for them. I was having this conversation with Rita yesterday. How would you be feeling today if you were a Miami sports fan? How would you sort of compartmentalize? Is it like kind of like Philly last year losing the World Series? But it's, I think it's different because like you had genuine reason to believe those teams could win championships. I don't know how you feel. Like you, these are two eight seeds. These right. are two teams that. Like the Wizards were eight seeds sometimes. There was no reason to believe that these teams were going to do anything, so these runs have been magical, have been incredible, have given you thrilling moments. But yet you're here, and if you're here, you're going to want to win. You're, you're going to have to be disappointed yeah. by losing. I, I don't know how you handle like it. We're in uncharted territory with this. And, again, I guess one of them could still change. Like, 3-1 is not insurmountable in either series. But the parallels have been astounding, right? Like, beating the best team, you know, whether it was the Panthers beating the Celtics or the Heat beating the Bucks. Beating the Bruins. So, what did I say? The, the Panthers the beat the, the – yeah, the, the Panthers did not beat the Celtics. You're right they about that. They probably could. Maybe. I mean, <laughs> um, they both beat Boston teams, yes. right? Like, there's been so many parallels – between these runs, and if you're in Miami, it's got to have been a magical time and just unbelievable to have experienced this. But yet, you're still on the brink of losing two championships in two days. And that can't be fun. I just don't know how I'd be compartmentalizing it right now. I don't know if I'd be capable as a Miami sports fan of just dismissing it and being like, well, you know, this was a fun run, and forget the fact that they both lost kind of with with very little fanfare i guess you gotta be excited right because then because it gives you something to build i mean because it's good i mean it's gonna be hard to guess really top this but, season but, but also how confident are you that this this is like the these start are two teams of teams that snuck into the playoffs that's the part that like right. i can't escape it's it's one thing it's disappointing when you're expected to win but you lose but there is the backup part of like yeah but we have every reason to believe we're going to be back there next year the nuggets have maybe disappointed these last couple of years. But there was every reason for a Nuggets fan to believe we're going to be right back in the mix. I don't know how you feel if you're a Heat fan. Do you feel like you're going to be right back in the mix as one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference next year? Or do you feel like maybe you got absolutely as much as you could possibly have dreamed of getting out of this group? And unless you're the team that trades for Damian Lillard, it's going to be difficult for you to back it up with this core of players. I, there is so much here, man. I was thinking about that because, you know, watching Twitter, I, I don't know. Like, it's it's been fun, and there's been sort of like, a, ah, we weren't supposed to be here anyway, but you're here. <laughs> like, you got there. I, I don't think it gives you peace at that point to get there and then lose. 
Like, I don't think that helps you feel better about losing once you're there. I think maybe you feel that way if you end up losing to the Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals, right? Like, well, we weren't even supposed to. Would it help at all that, you know, the fact that the Marlins are playing well right now? No. No, It has nothing to do with anything. I don't even think they know they have a baseball team in Miami. (laughs) No. Stop. You might be right about that. It doesn't do anything. They are like seven games over To lose two championships in two days and then just be like, well, but. We got baseball season. Baseball's kind of okay. Get the entire F out of here with that. No. Some more, more feel-good more feel things to talk Two about. Two championships. Marlins playing above uh In the next know. 48 hours, they could be they could literally lose two championships. And your answer is going to be, Probably well, will. Yes, correct. <laughs> and your answer is, well, but, you know, like, the baseball team is somewhat over 500. What other choices do they have? What other choices do they have? But that's the reality. <laughs> I don't know. That's why I'm talking through it. I think I'd be going through it, man. I think it would be a very difficult... To get there, you'd be off the air for two days. No, I wouldn't be off the air for two days. And I, and I, I was, I, but I was think I almost thought about writing a column about it, but it's too, it's too wonky. Yeah. Um, like what, what would this be like? We don't even know. We don't have basketball or hockey in this city, yeah. so how could we possibly know? Um, it's a, I just, it's a weird feeling. It's a weird vibe that I have felt about what it must be like to be a Miami fan right now, because all of the elements of this are real. Like, it is real. That they weren't supposed to be there. It is real that they have given, you know, eternal memories to these fan bases. All of that is real. And it's magical. And it's been an incredible story. But at the same time, it is also a listless championship performance. I I don't think that most teams, or fans of teams that had listless championship performances, remember it fondly. The, the Orioles in 2014 didn't even make the World Series. We don't remember anything fondly about the ALCS. We remember the Delman Young game. We don't remember anything fondly about the after anything after that. <sighs> Weird feeling. I, I don't even want to say I feel for them because, like, I don't know. They just they don't think they need sympathy. They've had this this cool stretch a couple of months. But it's weird, man. It's a it's a I don't it's, we don't think we've ever seen a story quite like this. You can compare it to. You know, Philadelphia losing championships, but it ain't like this. It's This has been really strange, really strange how this has gone. Into hour number two here on GCR. Baseball America has a new top 100 prospects list out. Eight Orioles on the list, including the number two overall prospect, Jackson Holiday. Joining us now to tell us more about it, he is our friend Carlos Colazo, and he is with us here on GCR. Carlos, it's Glenn. It's great to chat with you. Thank you for taking the time for us this morning. Absolutely, yeah. Thanks for having me. Carlos, I am, you know, I, we're in such a strange place in Baltimore because I feel like you and I maybe had this conversation about Adley Rutschman. We're like, we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves or we don't want to set ourselves <laughs> up for disappointment. I, I almost feel like the Jackson Holiday conversation is starting to be even more aggressive than that. Like, we're starting <laughs> to sell ourselves in the idea that there ain't even much more for him to prove at high A ball at this point, and he could be a double A before the season's over. And then we start projecting, like, is there a world in which Jackson Holiday, before he can even have a legal drink, could be in Baltimore next summer helping out as the Orioles make a push to try to do something significant? And I, I say those things knowing there's danger in saying them, but is it crazy to be talking like this given how insanely well he has performed so far? 
No, I, I really don't think it's insane at all. I think that's the reason why he's so high on our list. I mean, in, in the room when we were going over our top 100 list and debating on who the number one prospect in baseball was, I was banging the table pretty hard that Jackson Holiday should be our number one player. So uh, Ellie De La Cruz with the Reds is number one. Jackson Holiday is number two. Uh, I think you can make a very compelling argument for either of those players if you wanted. For me, uh, with Jackson, what it comes down to is I really see no weaknesses or, or holes in his game. I think he's exceptionally well-rounded as a hitter, as a defender, as a runner. He has massive physical projection remaining. He already hits the ball really hard uh, for a player of his age. I think he's going to play a really good shortstop. Um, he has exceptional understanding of the strike zone. I mean, he's only performed in pro ball. And from the scouting side, all we've gotten is really positive reviews. So I really just think he's such a well-rounded player, such an advanced player. Obviously, he's been around the game at a high level since he was born. Um, yeah, I just think that it's exceptionally well. It, it's similar to Adley Rutschman. It's just really well-rounded, um, chance for plus hitting ability. I think he's going to have really big power. It's, it's just a really, really solid all-around profile. And I don't think that timeline that you mentioned is crazy at all. I think the elite high school players move quicker than maybe people think. And Holiday has really hit the ground running, and I'm waiting for kind of the first struggle of his pro career. I, I want to go to what you said about him at shortstop, because as you know, there is this incredible glut of prospects, and you know, <laughs> if you're still including Gunnar Henderson on that list, like there's just all of yeah. these infielders in the Orioles system, and we have said kind of almost breathlessly, well, you know, anybody that be playing shortstop is a rent, you know, don't buy type, because Jackson Holiday is the shortstop. I want to make sure that we're talking about mm -hmm. this the right way. York confident that Jackson Holiday is a high-level, everyday, major league shortstop specifically? Personally, I am, yes. I know there are people on our staff who are less confident in that defensive evaluation. There have been some scouts who wonder, oh, maybe does he play second base? I wonder how much of that comes from the fact that there are so many good shortstops in Baltimore system. Um, Ortiz is obviously a very impressive defensive yeah. shortstop. I think it comes down to what are the needs for the team? Because he's definitely a player that even if you have someone who's a better defensive shortstop, I think he can play the position and also bring you so much offensively that I would probably take maybe a slight downgrade with the glove for a still very good shortstop in my mind who's also bringing you average and bringing you power and bringing speed on the bases. So in some ways it depends on kind of what the infield makeup is looking like when Jackson is ready to get called up to the big leagues. Um, but for me, I think he has all the tools to play the position. I think he has the skill, the body control, the internal clock. Um, we'll see what happens if he gets, because I do think he's going to get quite a bit uh, bigger in the future. Um, so if he, he outgrows the position, maybe slows down a little bit, maybe I'll change my mind with that. But for now, I think there's, there's nothing that I see that, that would preclude him from playing the position at the Major League level. How concerned were what were you by what you saw when Grayson Rodriguez got to the Major League level this season? Not that, you know, we, we saw the talent. That was obvious. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we saw a lot of the other stuff, too. <laughs> I, I don't know how you react to that when you, when you talk about where someone should be on a list like this. I, I, mm -hmm. it's, it's clear the guy has special abilities is it clear for sure that Grayson Rodriguez will ever be a top-of-the-rotation type of pitcher in the major leagues? I think he still could. I think the biggest thing that at least I had heard from talking with people on staff and just hearing from scout feedback and looking at some of the data with him is just the breaking balls haven't been as sharp as they were in the past. I don't know if that's just because there's an arm slot tweak with him. They changed a little bit of kind of how the ball is coming out of her. That could potentially be the case. I think the talent is all still there. It's just a matter of kind of taking those lumps 
figuring out what you need to do to adjust and getting back at it. I mean, we've seen so many pitchers who come up to the big league level and struggle initially, whether that's because they think they need to be too precise with their stuff, whether they need to adjust their approach. Um, I still wouldn't give up on him entirely. We still have him as a top 20 prospect. Obviously, uh, it's a lot scarier with pitching prospects in general, which is generally why we try not to shove them as high up the board. But Grayson Rodriguez was solidly in that kind of elite tier of pitching prospects for us, along with Gary Perez, Andrew Painter. I still think he's near that phylum of player and phylum of talent. Um, I'd just like to see, like, what are the adjustments that he makes the next time? Because um, it obviously wasn't the performance that you wanted to see, and I think maybe people were were ready for him to hit the ground running and do. But I, I think in terms of stuff, in terms of pitchability, everything is still there. I think it's just more minor tweaks that you'd want to see. He is Carlos Colazo, Baseball America, new top 100 prospects list out, and Grayson Rodriguez is now 17th on that list. Um, two guys that are among the lower of the Orioles on your top 100 I want to touch on. One is Samuel Basayo, who I, I think yeah. we've heard a little bit about, um, but this – you know, when I when I saw your list, I was like, "Oh wow, um, Samuel Basayo is in the top 100." Take me through why it is that that you feel like he is this like, and I would say anointed, whatever word you want to use. Why he is <laughs> elevated to be on the top 100 prospects list? Yeah, well, first I'll just say like I, I think the back half of this top 100 list was maybe the most difficult to fill out of any top 100 list that I've been a part of. And okay. I think that's probably the last three years or so. And I don't think it's because there were a lot of players who were itching to get on the list. I think we were mostly kind of scraping the barrel for prospects. I think it's a down year overall for top 100 okay. talent. And I don't say that to take away from Samuel Basayo. I think it's a really good prospect. But I do think in terms of just where the top 100 is now, there are a lot of players that have dealt with injuries. There are a lot of players that have dealt with struggles. Samuel Basayo is one who has shown impressive raw tools at a premium position. He's extremely advanced physically. He's got really impressive raw power. We have him with a 70-grade arm. Uh, it's just a lot of tools and a lot of potential impact. And if he's going to keep hitting and tapping into that power as he advances through the minor league system, he could he could rocket up this list even more in the future. I think there's still a little bit of refinement he needs defensively. Um, still questions on what the overall quality of the hit tool is going to be. But in terms of physicality, tools, um, he's a really exciting player. And I think the defensive profile of catcher has probably evolved to align nicely with his tool set. I, I ask in part because I'm trying to get a sense. Like We're thinking that the Orioles should be moving towards mm -hmm. a world in which they're looking to make some trades and fortify the major league level. And you know the guys that are the closest to being here – you know, obviously that glut of middle infielders, you feel like you're going to have to mm -hmm. use that in order to try to acquire, say, a pitcher or another middle-of-the-order type of bat. But Basayo is yep. interesting to me, right? Like, if, if teams really do value him, you know, it's it's not likely that there's going to be an opportunity to catch in Baltimore for some time. And, and maybe, <laughs> exactly. you know, the unfortunate part about the conversation is that we have to consider whether the Orioles are going to ever sign Adley Rutschman. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, 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 hate, I hate having that conversation. But do you think that, that he would have value on a trade market and be a desirable piece for other teams to try to get if the Orioles are saying, hey, it's not like he's going to catch here anytime soon anyway? Yeah, exactly. No, I, I think you nailed it. I think the, the conversation of tra trading from depth at, at middle infield, uh, the same is true of catcher. This is why we kind of we hear a lot from people who are like, a little upset when their teams will draft shortstops when they already have either a shortstop at the major league level or a couple of really interesting prospects. 
I mean, you, you can see it with how this Baltimore team, uh, the prospects on the farm have developed and have evolved. Like it, it's a good thing to have too many good middle infield prospects. You can trade away from some of that depth with the way the Orioles have pra- played this year. I would expect them to trade from some of that infield depth they have. It's among the best in baseball. And the same is true of, of catchers. It's very hard to get kind of a franchise everyday catcher with offensive upside. If Basayo is that guy uh, and you feel confident that Adley Rutschman is a top two, top three catcher in baseball for the foreseeable future, which he certainly looks like he is, why not trade from that? At the same time, there are some teams that have done nicely with a couple of really good catchers. You can kind of mix in those guys, um, just giving giving some rest to Adley, filtering in some guys at the DH spot. There's flexibility to have multiple really good catchers on your team, but I think there's a really strong argument that you could make that a catcher like Basayo, his talent would be more valuable for a team that doesn't have an Adley Rushman type. So yeah, if you want to trade away from that depth, um, I think there's also a case too that, I mean, catching is hard. As he moves up the ladder, maybe there's a chance that the defensive evaluation right. back up. So if you think you want to trade um, when his prospect value is, is kind of high or maybe near peak, like if, if for whatever reason the Orioles just don't believe that he's going to make the defensive improvements or they don't believe that the hit tool is going to be more than fringy, uh, maybe you trade from that now when he's getting a lot of really excite, a lot of excitement and buzz throughout the industry. I mentioned uh, middle-of-the-order bat as being something the Orioles could be looking for, and I, I, I bring that up because we're starting to have doubts about whether or not Ryan Mountcastle really is going to be an everyday, you know, like, yes, the pop is there, but the, some of the other stuff, the, I don't know if the trade-offs are worth it. Can we start again to view Heston Kerstad as being a legitimate future middle-of-the-order major league bat? Like, are we have we come full circle that we genuinely believe that that is possible in the coming years? Yeah, I mean, I don't really know why you wouldn't, I guess. I really like Kerstad. I was pushing to get him further up our list. He's performed. Every every time he's been on the field and been healthy, the performance has been really impressive. He's hit. He's hit for power. He hits the ball hard. You don't need him to play an up-the-middle profile. Like, I think that if he was, if he didn't have his health situation, we'd be talking about him in a much different way. And yeah. looking back at that, looking back at that draft class, um, some of the picks that haven't panned out and just seeing that the Orioles continue to do an excellent job of just identifying hitters and developing hitters. I have maybe as much confidence in this organization to scout and, and just develop their hitters than, than anyone in baseball. So I'm, I'm very high on Kerstad. I'm probably one of the highest um, on the DA team. I would say just because I think the combination of hitting ability on base ability and power that he brings is going to be super valuable. So I'm very high on him. And I think that if I was an Orioles fan, I would be confident in him moving forward. uh, If you feel like you need some more juice kind of putting to get in the lineup from your system. He is Carlos Colazzo from baseball America. Carlos um, that, you know, the two guys that we're talking about basically every day right now in Baltimore, Colton Kowser, who you guys have at 16, and Jordan Westberg, who you have at 46. Um, how major league as, – as much as it's amazing what Josh Lester and Ryan O'Hearn and Aaron Hicks are doing for the Orioles right now. And I, and I say that sort of ironically, but, like, it – my God. Um, it, it feels like, to me, if you're going to make a run to something of significance this season – you, you almost kind of need to get these guys here, let them go through struggles, and then you know try to start producing as the season goes mm-hmm. on because you might need a higher end. How major league ready do you believe Kowser and Westberg are at this point? I believe they'd both be ready to handle themselves if they were called up tomorrow. I think they've proven enough 
at the upper levels. I think they have pretty well-rounded tool sets and games. Kowser specifically, what he's done this year offensively, hitting for impact, um, his ability to run, play defense. Like I think he could play all three outfield positions and play them pretty well, so that adds some versatility to his game. Uh, he was always a really polished hitter with a good approach in college, and we've kind of seen that more this spring. And I think just in terms of like getting up and getting uh, getting major league ready, I think there maybe is more of an advantage for hitters early on. Like we, we see a lot with young hitters. They come up, they have success, and then a little bit later, big league pitchers kind of find the hole, make an adjustment, and then it's back on the hitters to adjust. So I don't necessarily think they need like a long runway to to help the team down the stretch if they're still competitive. I think – Maybe you could even make a case that the hitters are going to have an advantage early while the pitchers are still figuring out like the best ways to attack you. Like Michael Harris last mm-hmm. year with the Braves is a great example. He had a great year. Right. Pitchers, it seems like this year, have kind of figured him out a little bit. Now he's struggling. So uh, I think with both these guys, if they were to be brought up, they, they'd be able to impact uh, the team offensively and defensively right away. And uh, Interesting. Like We saw Gunner come up, have a little impact last year, then struggle to start this season. And my God, exactly. of, of late, he has looked to be every ounce of the guy that we thought he was going to be. So yep. that's exciting. Um, look, Carlos, you and I have had a lot of MLB draft conversations over the years. The nice part is that the Orioles have the number 17 pick for a change this year in the draft. Um, I, of yeah, course, they got to be excited about that. Oh, it's so nice. Selfishly, I would love for it to be Matt Shaw, but uh, you know that doesn't make any sense given what the Orioles have in their system. Uh, I don't think that's the route that you go, although you know, good players there, you take a good player. Um, the one thing that it would seem like they could probably use would be a, a college arm, right? Like an arm that's maybe a little bit closer. Is there anyone that would make sense as far as a college arm is concerned around that 17th pick? Yeah, I was about to say good luck if you want a college arm. Yeah. Because I do think that's the one demographic where in the middle of the first round, there's kind of one guy that I would eyeball there, Hurston Waldrop, the right-handed pitcher at Florida. He is right now number three or excuse me number four on our college pitchers we've got chase dolander at tennessee paul skeens obviously at lsu the orioles shouldn't even worry about at this point and then rhett louder uh right-hander at wake forest all those three i would expect to be gone before the orioles pick and then person waldrop's range is kind of right in the middle of the first round Uh, a few weeks ago maybe we would have said that that he gets past the orioles and goes in the 20s he's had a few really good starts lately and i think could be pushing himself back up so he's maybe the name that if, if you are an Orioles fan and you want a college arm on talent, I think he makes sense where the Orioles are picking. In terms of pure stuff, it's among the best in the class. You could argue that it's four-plus pitches. It's a really loud fastball, split changeup that just disappears before the plate, gets a ton of whiffs. He's got a ton of arm speed and athleticism on the mound. With Waldrop, the big question is um, starter-reliever risk. I mean, he doesn't throw mm. the most premium strikes. Mm. Uh, he gets a lot of chases out of his zone. So you got to feel confident either that he's going to move quickly into an impact reliever role or there's enough kind of underlying athleticism that you can get him over the plate more at the next level. I think if, if the strikes were less of a question, he would probably be going top 10 pretty safely. This is a tough thing, right? Because that doesn't yeah. – it certainly doesn't overwhelm me the way that you're describing him. I was ready to buckle down and watch more of the College World Series next weekend in order to see. Um, you know, and, and that's well, the t- when he's when he's over the plate. I mean, he's one of the most electric pitchers in baseball. I think he's third in the country in strikeouts, so he misses a ton of bats. And I mean, just Shane McClanahan esque, I think, as a right-handed pitcher. Okay. McClanahan was a lefty, and, and McClanahan had sort of the same starter reliever questions. Obviously, the Rays have as good a track record as anyone in, in getting their pitchers to throw more strikes. But if you think you can take something that they're doing and maybe 
um, pivot it into your system. I view Waldrop very similarly okay. as, as I viewed Shane McClanahan pre-draft. Do, do you agree with the concept that it's probably time for the Orioles to go elevated arm? Like it, it just it feels like as you try to put together a championship caliber team in the next couple of years, mm. it, it just you know I know DL Hall's still on your list, but I I think that yeah. that starter reliever conversation is very loud right now <laughs> when it comes to DL Hall. But yeah. does it feel like elevated arm that could not be that far away? feels like the thing that they most need to inject into the system? I think so. And this is partially why I wanted them to be more aggressive this last offseason and going out and acquiring an arm on the free agent market. I think that would have looked really good right about now. I think in terms of the draft, um, it, it's hard to kind of push yourself towards the demographic because I really don't think this year's class on talent where the Orioles are picking lines up well for that. And I think you can get into some problems and some issues if you try and force some picks based on need. Additionally, just with how well the Orioles do with hitters, I don't necessarily think it's the worst thing in the world. If, if you have a couple hitters who are the best talents available, just take them. Trade from, trade from your depth. Trade from the enviable package of uh, high upside athletes and hitters you have in your system. Like There are ways to acquire pitchers outside of just taking them in the draft. Um, the Orioles are also more active on the international market now. That's panned out with the SIO. Like, I don't think that it's smart to, especially with your first-round pick target, an organizational need. Um, so, no, I, I think you probably just take the best player available, and when you do need a pitcher at the big league level, um, look at all your options and how you can acquire that. And yeah. if you need to trade a hitter, I think that's the route you should take. Hey, last guy I wanted to ask you about, and I know I kept you long, but Cesar Prieto is having an insane season at AA. He's hitting three sixty two, and I get it. He's 5'9", and... You know, he was he was a lesser signing. He's important to the Orioles because, like, they never signed international players, right? So signing anybody was a big deal. At, at what point do you have to start looking at somebody and saying, well, maybe we do need to consider him as a guy that can move into this conversation? Yeah, I'd probably have less to for Prieto at this point, just given where he's at in the Orioles system and focus on the draft. So I would, I would hesitate to, okay. to speak too much on him. But the contact skills sound sound really exciting. Um, not sure how much power he's going to get to, but if right. the performance is good, I mean, again, the Orioles just pump out these hitters like it's no problem. So, no, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm with it. It. And, and he's 24, and that complicates things, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I, I, sir, a 5'9", 175-pound shortstop does not sound <laughs> like someone that's going to produce a lot no, of power. not the biggest guy in the world. Not going to happen, but... You know, 362, 409, 892 mm-hmm. at AA, like, it's starting to catch my eye a little bit. It's starting to Yeah, see... I mean, at the very least, if you get a guy like that who, who can serve as, like, a, a backup on the bench and be kind of this uh, solid hitter that you can put in yep. if you have some injuries or, I, I mean, you can, you can have valuable players that are not everyday guys and superstars. I think the best teams in baseball produce quality um kind of 40 grade and 45 grade players as well. So you, you always have depth. Like you, you can't win in baseball with just superstar talent. You need that really quality depth uh, role players surrounding them. So if he turns into one of those guys, that's another massive win for Baltimore's player development. Uh, at Carlos A. Colazzo on Twitter is how you follow him. What all can we plug for you, man? Yeah, we're uh, kind of rolling into draft season heavily now. So we've got the BA 500 out. Last week, we had a mock draft, uh, the third edition of our mock draft. I think in that one, we had the Orioles taking Braden Taylor, who is yeah. a third baseman from Texas Christian, one of my favorite hitters in the class. So more mocks coming on the way, updated draft reports. Um, that's kind of what I'm doing right now. So just BaseballAmerica.com is where you can find all my stuff. Carlos, really appreciate it, man. Thank you for spending the time with us this morning.
Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is fun. Carlos Colazzo, Baseball America, with us here on GCR. Again, Jackson Holiday, number two on their top prospects list. And I really wish he had better news for me. And that's uh, who else told us don't get your hopes up about the college arms for the Orioles. There was somebody else. It was a callus that we had on. That yeah, it must have thing. been because we did had him recently. <sighs> I could really go for a college arm, man. Well, I, mean, I could really go for an arm that's I, I not that far away. And I get his point. His point is you have just get all the talent you can get and then use that talent to get what you need. And I understand that, but it's nicer when the pieces fit. <laughs> like it's just more pleasant when you're not square peg round hole in it. Like when the pieces just fit. So. You know, yeah, of course. Like, I, they're gonna the, have to put the pressure on to see if they can to get an actual deal done. And and I mean, if if there's I think, no pitching on the horizon, they have to go do something. No, they definitely have to. But at the same time, like it's awkward to talk about it. I, we talked at one point about Jordan Westberg and saying, look, maybe this is the guy that you just identify and say, there's no real path for Jordan Westberg. He's he's not gonna be your shortstop. He's probably not going to be your third baseman because if Gunnar Henderson's going to play anywhere, he's probably going to play third base. Could he be your second baseman? Perhaps. But they've kind of shown a penchant for wanting there to be a veteran second baseman on this team the last couple of years. Um, uh, He's the guy that's elevated, that is thought highly of. It's not trying to trade, with all due respect, Connor Norby, where, like, you know, Connor Norby's a thought-of prospect. Jordan Westberg is a viable, legit, you can get something for Jordan Westberg. And if you want to get a top-of-the-rotation pitcher, you got to get him. you got to trade a player like that in order to get him. So we've, we've talked about Westberg in that context. But at the same time, we're also sitting here talking about the need for a middle-of-the-order bat. And while Jordan Westberg wasn't the guy that, that wasn't what we thought he was, you know, we kind of have to recognize what's going on. And him being on pace to hit 30-plus home runs this season. And I'm not suggesting that I think he's going to, but, like, could Jordan Westberg be the middle-of-the-order bat that you're looking for? Could it be that in trying to address something else, you end up missing on what could have been a a solution to another of your problems? That's why it's nice when the pieces fit. the, The Orioles have not wanted to draft arms. They've almost not done it at all in the higher rounds. That's fine, but you end up in a situation like this because of it. So I'm not saying that whoever they would draft as an arm at 17 would end up being, you know, the next, you know, you a know, superstar the or, next Shane or would be here next year or anything like that. But it's just nicer when the pieces fit, and that's an area where the pieces haven't been fitting. So that's why I wish there was a good answer at 17 as far as a college arm is concerned. All right, uh, hour number two of today's program. A reminder, stand the fan. Luke Jackson and Ross Grimsley get together every Monday at 6 o'clock. Talk some baseball with you. They'll be with you tonight, facebook.com slash pressboxsports. So you want to make sure you check that out. If you miss it live, you can find it at youtube.com slash pressboxonline or pressboxonline.com slash video. When we come back in, no, Jeremy Kahn has uh, has failed us today. That son of a bitch, I hate him. I'll never. Be, and you know what this is? You know what this is? I think this he's is him kind of gloating. He's saying, "I'm a champion. Yeah. I don't have to do this." 
Um, so instead, our friend uh, Cordell Woodland from 105.7 The Fan will join us, and that's good because he can preview uh, uh, minicamp gets underway tomorrow, so we'll preview what it is that we might learn over the next few days with Cordell Woodland next. It's Glenn Clark Radio. The All-America Senior Game, powered by New Balance, will be back at Johns Hopkins Homewood Field on July 29th. The most decorated girls and boys lacrosse players in the country have been invited to play in what is the premier lacrosse event of the year. Every college coach wants their players in this game, and if you dream of being in this game, you start by trying out for one of your regional underclass teams this summer. The best against the best. Get your tickets now at allamericalacrosse.com. Are you a diehard O's fan looking for the perfect way to show your team spirit? Look no further than Birdland Sports. Birdland Sports is a small business run by fans for fans. They offer a wide variety of unofficial O's merchandise from the Birds Are Coming tees to player cartoon shirts and more. And the best part? Their prices are more affordable than the big guys. So head to BirdlandSports.com and grab your gear today. Show your support for the Birds with Birdland Sports. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Luke Jackson looks at the pipeline of talent still to come for the Orioles. Diving in on last year's number one pick, Jackson Holiday, and other top prospects like Colton Kowser, Heston Kerstad, Kobe Mayo, and more. Also inside, Todd Karpovich profiles Orioles pitcher Kyle Gibson. And Bo Smolka breaks down what progress would mean for the team's 2022 draft picks in their second pro season. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com That first sip That first bite Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. If you miss anything on the show, don't forget that you can watch full episodes at youtube.com slash pressboxonline. And you can download podcasts on Apple, iTunes, Amazon, and Grindr. Wait, did I say Grindr? I don't think that you would find it on Grindr. Not that I know it's on Grindr or anything. I swear. Second thought, you know what? I don't care what you think. Here's Glenn. Pressboxonline.com slash contest. Last call this week. You have today, tomorrow, Wednesday to sign up and win four tickets to all of the area minor league baseball teams, plus an easy pass Maryland on-the-go transponder preloaded with $25 and a $50 gas card from Royal Farms. Got to be 18 or older in order to enter pressboxonline.com slash contest. By the way, worth pointing out, two of the players that are on the top 100 list for Baseball America are going to join us this week on GCR. Tomorrow, uh, Jackson Holiday, the number two overall prospect in baseball, will be joining us. Look forward to that. And uh, Joey Ortiz, who was up, looked really good, and is a uh, still considered a top 100 prospect by Baseball America Back down with Norfolk, he will join us on Wednesday. So we will chat with a couple of those guys that are on Baseball America's list this week here on GCR. All right. But before we do any of that, yes, disappointed, let down by Jeremy Kahn. But this man's going to pitch in and uh, help us out instead. Of course, you hear him on 105.7 The Fan. He'll be out in Owings Mills this week for Ravens minicamp. He is our buddy Cordell Woodland, and he is with us now here on GCR. 
Cordell, it's Glenn. It's always great to catch up, brother. Thank you for taking a couple of minutes for us. For sure, Glenn. What's going on? All right, so you didn't take your own child to see Spider-Man. Who did you take to see Spider-Man yesterday? <laughs> I, I, I went, and not even, I can't even say shamefully. I'm not ashamed. I went to see it for the second time. Oh, uh, wow. The first, the, first, the first time I went by myself uh, and, and went I, to watch it, and so this time I took my niece and nephew. Okay, how old? Uh, because my... Uh, they are 12 and 11. Okay, so they might be in a better place. So I took my eight and six-year-olds last week to see Spider-Man. Um, mm -hmm. And look, if if I didn't think they were ready, I would have gone by myself too. I cared very deeply, as I think everybody knows. I've been I've worn a Miles Morales hat um, <laughs> basically everywhere I went for like five years, except ironically not today. I love it. Um, I I know I I'm obsessed. It's the, the first one's one of the greatest movies I've ever seen, and this one is unbelievable. Cool. I yeah. had an issue, however. Because my kids, I had not talked to them about the fact that it was a part one of two. Uh, so a lot of people didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, when we get to the end of the movie, and it really does just end, right? Like, yeah. there isn't even a big... Con a big con I, was com I was comparing it yesterday to Avengers, where at the end of the first, there was a big conclusion. You knew it was going to change, but there was a big conclusion that led you into the second one. There isn't even mm -hmm. really a big conclusion here. It's just kind of over. And it doesn't change the fact that it's a brilliant film. My eight-year-old and six-year-old were not okay with that. How were your niece and nephew with that? They were, so they were okay with it. Um, they left their conscience like, oh, that was so good. That was the first thing my niece said as soon as it ended. That was so good. Uh, and, and then my nephew, he, he's so he's just too cool for school. Oh yeah, that was dope. You yeah, know that, yeah, that's, yeah. that's what he said. That was dope. Uh, but I could tell you, we had a lot of kids in the uh, theater that we were in yesterday, and I, <laughs> I had to laugh. This one kid just—I mean, there was a lot of oh, but this one kid just at the top of his lungs. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> so I. <laughs> I had to die laughing off of that. So I guess for kids, you know, getting a cliffhanger at the end of the movie isn't the most thrilling thing. But for, you know, for me, the, the 35 year old that's, that's probably shouldn't even be in there watching it on, on, on his own anyway. Uh, I got a kick out of it. I, I, I love the movie. It's, uh, look, it's, it's the, unbelievable. The movie it, it's incredible. Yeah. It's an absolutely amazing film. It's 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 breathtaking. And my kids yeah. loved it. It's just that that was really staggering for yeah. them. Like, there was a moment... Yeah, I mean, they caught him off guard. Correct. My, my six-year-old looked up at me and said... Like, I was getting up to leave, and he said, No, sit down. We're going to yeah, stay and watch part two. And I said, <laughs> No, buddy, part two's not going to happen right now. If they did it that way, we'd be in the theater for five hours. And he said, Yes, I want to do that. Please tell them to go ahead and run part two now. <laughs> And yeah, I, I said, did tell my nephew, I was like, I, I told them, I was like, yeah, part two doesn't come out until March. So they weren't happy about that. Yeah. They, they weren't happy. Oh, I didn't, wait I didn't define it for my kids. I just said soon. And soon's doing a lot yeah. of work in that <laughs> sentence. That's I was a like, Lamar Jackson soon right correct. there. Correct. Days, days to weeks. <laughs> exactly right. Um, I, it was soon. Will uh, we be able to watch part two soon? <laughs> like, okay, yeah, yeah this soon-ish. In context, I don't know what to make of it, uh, but no, it was brilliant. Hey, uh, why are you a Miami Heat fan? Wow, so I 
I was an Allen Iverson fan. Allen Iverson is my favorite athlete of all time. Okay. And when when AI retired, I had to figure out what I was going to do because I was long done with the Wizards by that point. Um, and to How be honest, I wait a second. Of, wait a second. You're long done with the Wizards, but not yeah. with the football team. Like, well, you got to explain that to the, me too. The, the, the football team has a history. As a but not in your team. life. I mean, it, no, they won two Super Bowls in my lifetime. Oh, I, I looked, oh I how old were you in 91, Cordell? Hey. How old uh, were you? Three. Yes. I was, I was three Stop. in 91. Hey. It's like saying hey, I was a month old when the Orioles won the World Series in 83, and I'm going to claim their I'm history. I'm a, I'm a historian of the game. Uh, Glenn. So, so even though I was only three at the time, by the time I understood football, I'm going back and watching those tapes on NFL films and I'm seeing the Super Bowls happen as if they just happened that day. So, I mean, it's, and it's when you're, you know, just like growing up in Baltimore, now having the Ravens and then the Colts back then, like it's just in your DNA. It's tough. Football. We have more of an allegiance to, I think as fans than basketball. Uh, so it's tougher to step away from your football teams, no matter how embarrassing they may be. But the Wizards were just unbearable. And when they went from the Bullets to the Wizards, that was my way out. That was my way out right there. I took it. Uh, and so Allen Iverson retired. I was a, I'm a Georgetown fan. I watched D-Wade at Marquette a lot. Um, and I was like, you know what? I'm a Heat fan. And right. and then I hit the lotto and got LeBron and the rest of it. I don't know. I don't know how. I, feel. I, I as a child, I was a Shaq guy because we didn't have a team. Like I, this is the, the difficult because we never had a team here. Like I never had. I just. I never. I didn't embrace anyone, and so I was a. I was just Shaq fan, and wherever Shaq was, I was going to be a fan. And I. And I actually thumbed my nose at myself because I should have known better than what he was. I, I should be ashamed that I ever rooted for the Lakers because that's what Notre yeah. Dame and Yankees fans do is they root for the Lakers. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I gotta agree there. Yeah. So I looking back on it, I'm ashamed of young Glenn and the fact that he rooted for the Lakers when Shaq was there. <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't come up with a team until the I moved to Phoenix and then I was like around it every day and I was like, oh my god, this is this is amazing. This is electric. I can yeah. watch Amari Stoudemire and Sean Marion and Steve Nash and Mike D'Antoni. It was incredible. So I just stuck with it. For from that point I, I like and I asked this is like do you feel a connection though like are you I it, I always struggle with I this understand that. with sports fandom right like I when you just I I was a Shaq fan but I couldn't pretend like it actually mattered to me right like to look back right. and try to make it seem like it mattered to me when the Lakers won those titles I, you know, it was more like I was an 18 year old douchebag that had nothing going on in my life so like <laughs> You know, it was it was chicks and and pretending that that was I I don't know it didn't actually I didn't feel it the way that I would feel something yeah. real. Had, had this been something you really felt as a Heat fan in these last few months? I, I would say so. I'm 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 a diehard basketball fan. I always tell people football was my first love, and basketball really came right after it. So you know, I I like to pride myself on being a, a, a top-notch fan when I am in my fan mode. I'm I'm one of the best fans you can have repping your team. Um, and as you can see, I've been through thick and thin with the commanders and with the heat right now. I've been enjoying it, man. I've, I've felt like I'm a part of the ride. Now, obviously, I don't live in Miami. I'm not able to go to the games and have that type of an experience on a regular basis. Uh, but I've watched so much hoops, man. I, I keep tabs on it enough 
to where I'm engaged. I know everything that's going on with the team. I, I'm with them every step of the way. So yeah, I am. I, I do feel connected, but I, I am with you. I could understand why it could feel tough to be connected to a team that you feel so you know that you are so far away from. Yeah. All right. All right. This is the last one. Um, did you see the thing, the graphic that the 33rd team shared out this week? That who the, put out the thirty third team? They put out a graphic about when every NFL franchise's last eleven win season was. Oh God, no! Did, did you see it? Who do you think I, has? I, the, I haven't. Who do you think has the longest drought in football since their last eleven win season? I mean, the Commanders are probably yeah. up there. Nineteen ninety one. Nineteen ninety one. Who do you think has the second longest drought of an eleven win of an eleven win season? I'm not trying to pile Ooh. on, but you're gonna. It's this is this is gonna blow your mind. Is, you, it, is it the Commanders again? No, well, I mean, uh, I understand what you're oh. saying. Oh, okay. I was no, about it's to say, that it's gonna it's gonna be when you find out when the what the distance is between the longest <laughs> and the second longest drought. Oh, the second longest is it the is it the Browns? It's the Jaguar. I don't. know. The Browns were uh, just won 11 games two years ago. Um, oh, yeah. I'm the, just so used to them stinking. The, the Jaguars. Yeah, I get it. I trust me, I get it. The Jaguars have the second <laughs> longest drought since an 11 win season, and theirs was in 2007. The Commanders' oh, wow. drought is 16 years longer than the second longest drought in football. Well, I mean, hey, that's not win. that's not even surprising. I, I mean, now, all right, that part is, I get. Yeah, yeah, that part I get. This is a team that's looking for them. They've been looking for a franchise quarterback for right. literally decades. No doubt. It, it no lets you know doubt. What, it, what it is. All right, uh, Cordell, obviously minicamp this week, and uh, we assume everybody's going to be there because we already know that J.K. Dobbins is there, and he was the only person that we really had any questions about. But as we talked about, what the hell would be the point of holding out? What right. do you think that's going to accomplish? Um, what is it that you feel like we can learn? You know how I am. I'm very dismissive of these things, someone who – plays well and pads for a week i'm not going to suddenly be like ah that guy's going to make a difference but as far as who lines up where and who lines up with starters and things like that what do you think we might learn over the course of the next three days well we might get a better sense of how mike mcdonald i mean not mike mcdonald i'm sorry uh how todd munkin decides to deploy a lot of these new weapons that the ravens have gotten over this offseason and not just the new weapons but even some of the old weapons my biggest thing has been how are they going to incorporate the this great tight end room that they have because i i think that this tight end room is as a unit elite i mean their starter obviously is elite in, in, in alone with mark andrews but you look at what isaiah likely can do and charlie kohler can do i understand that they have made a huge commitment to the wide receiver position this offseason, and I'm here for it. I really am. Uh, But they have to find a way to get Isaiah Likely on the field at all costs. Uh, While I don't expect a guy like um, Charlie Kohler to play 80% of the snaps, I still think that he should be in there in situational times, red zone, short yardage situations. He can definitely help them. So that'll be the number one thing I guess I'm looking for on the offensive side of the ball. How do these tight ends get put into the rotation? Defensively, you know, I want to look at the nickel spot. Who are they putting there? We heard uh, John Harbaugh say initially that he wanted Kyle Hamilton to go back to that natural safety spot, but he's their best nickel corner. Mm-hmm. So they're not, they're not dumb. They're going to put him over there 
I'm curious to see how much. We also heard John Harbaugh say Brandon Stevens is more of a safety than a corner this year. That's a total difference from last year where he said he was more so a corner than a safety. So how does Brandon Stevens get put in the mix? Where is he lining up? Geno Stone, how much playing time is he getting? How much Jalen Armour Davis and Pepe Williams are we seeing? Because if you notice, they still haven't brought back Marcus Peters. They haven't added another veteran cornerback just yet. And I think that's because they're trying to give these second-year corners a look. They're trying to – not just them. They've got veterans like Daryl Worley and Kavon Seymour there as well, Trayvon Mullen uh, also. So I think they want to give a look to the guys that they have on this roster. And I don't want to forget rookie Caillou Blue Kelly as well. They just drafted. Mm-hmm. We know how much they love to use their draft picks. So I, I think they want to get a good look at what they have here uh, before trying to hit the open market and bring back a potential Marcus Peters or somebody else. Do you have a sense for left guard right now? Like I, I feel like every time we thought that Ben Cleveland was going to be the guy, he's never been the guy. And the yeah. idea that Falele was running around at guard like is is interesting. Certainly, he's he's a monster of a human, but so is Cleveland. Um, what's your gut tell you right now about left guard? I mean, right now it looks like they like John Simpson. Uh, they like John wow. Simpson. They added him this off season. I don't. I don't know how much you know what what his lead is. If there even is a lead for him right now at that number one spot at the guard position, but he's gotten a lot of the first team reps there. Now it's only been football school and OTAs to this point. So take that. And Cleveland's with a grain Cleveland's of been out, correct? He yeah, Cle- Cleveland's been out. Yeah. Um, and you know, so I, I think that we saw Falele there. Uh, at left guard the other day at OTAs, and John Harbaugh talked about that a little bit. And he, he liked that Cleveland was at tackle. You know, Cleveland was at, was at tackle that day, actually. Um, so I'm just – I think that it's going to be a kind of a two-man battle. I think Ben Cleveland had an uphill battle to make this team, to be honest with wow. you. It was tough for him last year, struggling to make the, the – to, to pass the conditioning test. Hopefully he can get past that. Uh, this year, hopefully on the first try, that'll give him a good leg up because I don't think this is a guy that can afford to miss any practices uh, right now, let alone training camp practices, obviously, unless it's injury-related. But, um, yeah, for me right now, I'm not crazy about Falele at left guard. I I, I, see, I see the size. I see the potential. I just don't know if he's athletic enough to play that left guard spot the way that they have historically asked their left guards to play there. It's a lot of pulling. It's a, it's a lot of uh, having to showcase how agile you are. You got to be quick off the line and moving. And sure, he's a force, no doubt about it. He's a big dude. Um, but I, I just don't know if he will be able to be as le- as athletic at that spot as they would like. So he's one that's intriguing for sure. But I'd be lying if I didn't say that I, I, it seems like Simpson may have wow. the leg up. Wow. A guy that, a name that I'm sure that a lot of people don't even know who he is. Uh, no. He was a reserve future <laughs> guy that had played for the Raiders. Cordell Woodland, 105.7 The Fan. Let me knock out a couple more with you real quick. One, uh, you mentioned the tight ends. I, I, you know, Jonas and I were talking about this the other day. I, how what what do we think this looks like for Patrick Ricard? You know, I talked to him a couple months ago, and he said, "Man, I'm guessing there's going to be less of me. Like this is just the way that it's gone. Like of all of the guys that that did benefit right from a Greg Roman offense, nobody probably benefited more than Patrick Ricard did. Um, he's here. They pay him money. At at this point, I don't know what the purpose would be of of letting him go. 
what do you think this might look like for Patrick Ricard as part of the or the, I say the Orioles, the Ravens offense moving forward? Well, I, I think Patrick Ricard, the one thing that he has going for him is that he is a true football player. He is a guy that has shown the ability to play on the de- defensive line, fullback, t- uh, tight end. Like, they have asked a lot of Patrick Ricard. Um, and I think that he has such a skill set that they can find a way to keep him on the team. I don't know about how much we'll see him on the field, but in terms of keeping him around, because I would imagine when you talk about some of the run looks, it's still going to be at least a dose of what we saw during the Greg Roman system. Now, I don't know how much that means that they are going to need a fullback in their backfield to necessarily do some of the things they want to do in the run game. But I just – I think Todd Munkin is a guy that has stressed how he wants to put his players in the best position to succeed. And, and you talk about a guy that is a smart man in terms of putting together an offense, uh, as we've seen throughout his career. I have a hard time imagining that he can't find a way to use Patrick Ricard. Patrick Ricard. Now, does that mean that Patrick Ricard's usage will warn him a spot on this team? I don't know. I, I don't envision the, Ra- the the Ravens coming out with a lot of fullbacks in their formations to this point. Now, we did see Ben Mason the other day at practice, and he was probably the leading receiver for the first half of team drills. Um, and that probably bodes well for Patrick Ricard's case. But I, how often are we going to see that in the game? Probably not much. Yeah, I think Patrick Ricard has a reason to worry right now. Um, but I also believe that the Ravens have always shown loyalty to their players. They, we, we've seen it historically. They, it, it, when you're a good, when you're a good football player, which I think Patrick Ricard is, they'll find a way to incorporate him. Just will it be enough to warrant a, a spot on the active roster? I started our conversation referencing J.K. Dobbins. We know there's something going on there. Exactly what it is, I'm not sure. I, I asked this question in a column a week ago. I, is is it even a certainty that if J.K. Dobbins is healthy and performs at a high level this season, that the Ravens would pay him then? Like I, I, I just start to wonder, Cordell, if the Ravens in the Lamar Jackson contract era don't just say, hey, we're going to have to budget less somewhere else, and running back just might be the position where we budget less. And, I, you know, it, it would be tough if J.K. Dobbins were to go out. Look, I— I think we miss that J.K. Dobbins has led the league in yards per carry, and when he's been healthy, he's been excellent. But I just I wonder if at some point it almost kind of doesn't matter, and the Ravens don't just have a choice but to say we we have to save the money somewhere, and running back is the most obvious place for us to choose to try to save some money moving forward. I think that's it. I think I don't think there's anybody that's questioning whether or not J.K. Dobbins is a can be a good play, is a good player with the potential to be a great player. Um, I think that's probably the most disappointing thing about his career is the fact that it's all potential. As good as J.K. Dobbins is, as productive as he's been, this is a guy that's averaged six yards a pop for his career. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have more than 17 carries in a game. And you, you could go back through every year of his career, and there's always been something. The rookie year, they're reluctant to move on from Mark Ingram. His second year, 
He gets hurt in the preseason game, cost him not only his second year, but pretty much half of his third year. And his third year, he comes back off the scope. He looks great. And he's the most productive running back in the league since his return. But the Ravens are reluctant to use him. And they have the, I don't want to say excuse, but they have the, you know, a, a fact of the matter is that they had to make sure they didn't overwork him. He's coming back off of a, off a knee scope after tearing his ACL the year before. So I, I, I don't think that the Ravens have necessarily been totally to blame. You can make the argument. If you want to blame them for playing them in the preseason game, okay. I'm pretty sure Dobbins does. Um, but I think the Ravens have kind of treated him like with, with kid gloves, making sure that when he does return, he's up to par. Um, and he's had to say how they have saved him from himself and forced him to be patient through this whole process. But I say all that to say, we're all, look at, we look up and it's year four. And what do we have to show for the J.K. Dobbins career to this point? It's a lot of what ifs. And what ifs aren't enough to warrant a team to make that financial commitment to you? Oh, yeah, you also play the most overdevalued position probably mm-hmm. in sports, the running back position, where you take probably more contact than anybody else, but nobody wants to put money into you. Even when you're one of the elite running backs, uh, they don't want to really pay you. So uh, he doesn't have that going for him. The Ravens, I think, when you have Lamar Jackson in your backfield, you feel like you can have a productive run game, no matter who you put back there with him, almost. So all that to say, and J.K. Dobbins, he may not even – I don't know how much he may want to be in Baltimore. I know what his tweet said, right. but who knows? Who knows, man? So I think you combine both of those sides together, it, it just doesn't seem like his future long-term is going to be in Baltimore. All right, and the last one for you, the DeAndre Hopkins rumors don't go away, and then added on, Daniil Hunter's name popped up last week that the Vikings maybe – the report for me in rap it was so weird. It was more like teams are calling about Daniel Hunter and not really any confirmation the Vikings are actually shopping him, but like a thought that maybe they would. Um, do you still see a possibility for the Ravens to make another big splash? They've done they've already made more big splashes than we're used to seeing the Ravens make. But do you see the possibility of there being one more big splash, or do you think it's more likely? hey, they bring back a Justin Houston or they bring in an Adrian Amos or a Fuller or somebody like that, and that's that's kind of just how the offseason ends. It's not like they're going to go do anything significant. Yeah, I think it's more so along those lines uh, that we're seeing some of the returning faces like a Houston, like a Fuller potentially, or a veteran name like a Amos or something like that, maybe a Peters or something. I, I think the, the Hopkins, the trading for Daniil Hunter – I just don't really see those being in their cards right now. Um, as much as I would love to see DeAndre Hopkins in Baltimore, I think that'd be a, a great addition for them. And I know people are kind of split on that for their own personal reasons, but I, I think Hopkins would definitely make a lot of sense for them. But I, I just can't foresee them making that type of splash move right now. I, it just feels like the, even like how I talked about earlier with the cornerbacks. Like I, I feel like they're at the point now to where they – feel like they're, they may be a little content with what their roster looks like today. And they at least want to see what the guys on this roster can do. They have a lot of young guys that they're going to depend on. We, they got a couple of guys other than J.K. Dobbins in contract years this year. You mentioned the Lamar Jackson contract era. They have to find ways to get cheap labor. And I think that they're going to have that, – that's forcing them to start to 
rely more on these young players that they have drafted. It's time for some of them to show what they can do. And you talked about Daniel Hunter. Well, they, they're leaning on two young guys at, as their pass rushers this year in Oway and Ajabo. And Oway going into year three, I think it's, you know, it's make a break time uh, for him. And Ajabo, they're expecting big things from. So I, I kind of think that they're ready to go with what they have. All right, Cordell Woodland, when are we hearing you this week? Uh, I'll be on tonight from 6 to 7.30, leading into Game 5 of the NBA Finals on the fan. Of course, give him a follow. Throughout the week, he will be out in Owings Mills, so you want to get your information about what's going on at minicamp, make sure you're following Cordell Woodland on Twitter. Appreciate you, bro. Let's talk again real soon. Thanks for hopping on today. Yes, sir. Appreciate you. It's Cordell Woodland with us here on GCR ahead of Ravens minicamp out in Owings Mills. I'm probably, we didn't talk a lot about Daniel Hunter last week. Like, I'm intrigued. I'm, how could you not be intrigued? We've talked about how much stock they're putting into two unproven players when it comes to edge rush. How could you not be intrigued by the availability of Daniel Hunter? But can you afford to pay him? The first problem is it's like a $13 million cap hit this season, so you'd have to do something in order to make that work. So that's problem number one with the Daniel Hunter conversation. But that can be massage, and you know the Vikings might be willing to help out in that part in order to try to get better compensation. Well, do you want to give up better compensation? The value of draft picks in the Lamar Jackson contract era has to go up because, to Cordell's point, you're going to need more quality players that you're paying cheaper prices to. So you're just doing a lot of math here. And as intrigued as I am by Daniil Hunter, I don't know. I don't know. It's a different conversation when it comes to DeAndre Hopkins, of course, because you get to make up the number and you can watch the market unfold. And his visits so far have been with teams that have no chance at winning a Super Bowl. So... It's you know his visits have been Tennessee and New England. There's just no world that you can convince yourself that Tennessee or New England right now has a chance to win a Super Bowl. Not practically. I mean, like in a pie in the sky, if 800 other things were to fall into place, you know, if Tennessee moves on from Ryan Tannehill and Will Levis is just the the guy that some people genuinely believed was the number one player in the draft and everybody just missed on it. He's got that strong arm. Right? Yeah. Like the whole thing. Maybe down the road you could buy into it, but to think that you could win a Super Bowl this year in Tennessee is extraordinary. So how much does that matter to DeAndre Hopkins? Is he willing to let the market come back a little bit in order to get to the right team versus taking more money from the teams that so far have shown the most interest? You know, that's when that conversation becomes more palatable, I guess. I'm probably with Cordell that I think the more likely scenario is the Ravens, again, bring back Justin Houston at some point, dip their toes in on one of these veteran. I, like, Amos is the name that comes up, and I think it's intriguing because he's a Baltimore native, although, ironically, Fuller's a Baltimore native, too, so I don't know why one. And, and they liked him last year, we know, and signed him, and it just didn't work out because of injury. And would seem to be the more, again, square peg, square hole type of fit than Amos. Like, Amos, you're adding one more. I mean, I guess the injury can scare them a little bit, but, like. With Fuller, of course yeah, they should. Yeah. But, like, 
what's available that isn't right. Like, there's no answer available. Like right now, you're bringing Peter's, how much of a square peg? The, square peg is Peter's too. I, like, the way he played a year ago. Well, again, that's one year removed, less than a year. I guess I understand, from an, but from he's not getting injury. younger. Is that like yeah. the the? I think my question would be if teams were certain about Peter's issues last year, just being his health, and they were certain now about his health, why wouldn't he be, he be signed? Team. Yeah, I it, it's. It's square peg round hole too because there's at least reason to have question about Peters and whether or not maybe what we saw was was fully about the health. If it was about the health, is he definitely moved on from that? Was it the health combined with hitting the downside of his career? I think there's reason to ask questions about it. I'm not saying I wouldn't sign Marcus Peters, to be clear. I th- You can only sign the guys that are out there, and these are the guys that are out there. So Kyle Fuller is older than Marcus Peters. That's surprising. He's, he's thirty-one, but we, he also we didn't see him play poorly a year ago, right? Like that's the the tricky part about this conversation. It in a way maybe it benefits Fuller that he didn't play at all. Yeah. Versus playing and playing poorly, right? Like the the playing poorly part is the part where you come back and say, can you trust Marcus Peters in a situation? And if you say to Marcus Peters, dude, we'll sign you, but you're not being signed to be the definitive. Starting like Rocky Scene is going to be our starting corner, and you're going to be a depth piece here. Does Marcus Peters say, "Yeah, no thanks"? Mm-hmm. Like I, I think somebody's going to have a pressing need and want to sign me. And if I'm going somewhere, it's to start. I'm not going somewhere to be the fourth corner. And also, I mean, if, he's, can if he thinks he still not, has it, then he might be able to work his way into being that. Well, sure, two guy again. I, I understand that, but like, you know, he might just be. I'm not planning on going to camp anyway, so I need to sign somewhere where they just know who I am. Yeah, right. Like I. I don't know. But I do think that Cordell's right with his assumption that it's more likely that the Ravens, whatever they might still do, comes from that pool of players than it does from the high-end pool of players. I do think that's the more likely scenario. All right, pressboxonline.com slash offers. We're offering new sports bettors the best sign-up bonuses and promos from the seven legal online sports books. Go to pressboxonline.com slash offers right now and get offers like $150 in bonus bets from DraftKings after you place your first $10 bet or up to $1,250 in bonus bets from Caesars. Time is limited to get the best offers from all of the sports books. Go to pressboxonline.com offers right now in order to sign up. We'll come back in. We'll get a tidbit. We'll get tubular to wind down for a Monday edition of Glenn Clark Radio. The Orioles are off and running out to prove that last season wasn't a fluke and they are one of the best teams in baseball. Hi, I'm Paul Valley, host of the Bat Around for Pressbox. Tune in every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon as Zach Goodman and I break down every Adley bomb, every Tony Tater, and every save from the mountain. Like a warm hug from Rutschman, the Bat Around has you covered with all things Orioles as we embark on what's sure to be a magical summer in Birdland. So tune in every Saturday for the best in Orioles coverage right here on the Bat Around. Whether your focus is luxury and comfort, convenience and technologically advanced connectivity, or sporty performance and aggressive styling, we've got the perfect Highlander for you. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Highlanders from your local Toyota dealer today. Costas Inn has been serving up delicious steamed crabs for over 50 years. Lately, the crabs you want to eat when the weather warms up have gotten harder and harder to get. So get your crab-eating game plan in place. Make sure to stick this number on your fridge, 410-477-1975. Call ahead and reserve the size crabs you want. You may be able to walk in, but you may also be disappointed at the size or maybe even get shut out altogether. So call ahead, have a plan, and then arrive on your crab-eating vacation. 
Kitchen. Costas also has delicious crab soup and crab cakes. The Costas Inn at 4100 North Point Boulevard. For more than 50 years, they've been satisfying crab lovers in and around Baltimore. That first sip. That first bite. Mmm. Starts your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches. And top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. If you need more of Glenn, you can also hear him every Sunday with Rita on 105.7 The Fan. But also, if you need more of Glenn, um, what's wrong with you? All right, quick topic roulette here from Dan. This was yesterday. Does Gunnar Henderson's home run prove that somebody's going to hit the warehouse? You know what's really funny? On Saturday. Yeah, Gunnar. Yeah, right. On Saturday um, was the first time that like my kids really started to notice all of the little like home run balls on Utah mm-hmm. Street. Like we've been to a game and they were really interested in it. And then I showed them the Ken Griffey Jr. one on the warehouse, and they were kind of freaking out about that. And they were like doing because we had terrible seats on. I I did the bit for Saturday where I was like I didn't know how much the game the kids were actually going to watch, so I just bought the cheapest tickets that right. I could get. And there was a lot of demand for the Saturday game because of the giveaway and everything being a four o'clock game. Um, so we. Wretched seats down the. Um, There's not a wretched seat in the ballpark. What are you talking eh, about? Th- those corner seats are pretty bad, dude, in both right and left field. Um, which is why it sucks that they've closed. The, like the yeah, left the, field that, upper deck are so much better yeah. than the left field corner seats that, like, I, I, I get it. They're trying to, it's a staffing thing. And they're like, if we yeah. don't, if we can shut part down and not have to staff it, then like, whatever. It's a whole thing. Maybe do it for the right side there. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that might be the better way to do it. Like, it's just the corner seats don't have anything to offer. They're terrible. And that's, of course, where we were. Um, but, like, they were trying, they were, like, doing the math of, like, how amazing it is that these balls, like, my son is starting to get a grasp of how incredible it is. Um, I, I, <laughs> it's the longest home run we've ever seen hit on Utah Street. So, like, for me to assume that that definitely means it's going to happen again or even, no, I, it'd be awesome. And it'd be super cool if it does, but I don't think that doing the equation of, well, if he's only less than a year into his career and and this young and he's already done this and he could still grow into his strength even more, that means eh, maybe, maybe, but there's no certainty of that either. I'm, I'm, I'm not banking on it. It was cool. Don't get me wrong. It was majestic as hell. But I'm not going to project anything more than the fact that it was an incredible home run. Uh, you know, and we were talking about the weekend. We didn't mention Cole Irvin. Wait, so so you don't think it'll ever happen then? Or I don't know. I think there's you don't a go that far. I, just I'm not going to sit here and say like confidently it will never happen. I think it's incredibly difficult to do. I think it's ungodly yeah. difficult to do, and it starts with the fact that like it's you have to be left-handed. Mm-hmm. You have to like it. It's got to be a clear day, pretty much. Correct. Like, like there are so many things that have to come into play for it to happen that. Probably got to be June or July. Like, Almost certainly with yeah. the ball, you know, it heating up and the ball traveling a little bit further. I, I, I could never say it can't happen, but for me to count on it and for me to assume that it's going to happen, no, nah, it's that's that's a stretch too far. Uh, Cole Irvin start certainly backed up that he deserves to stay in the rotation for now. Um, not like he was brilliant, but he was plenty good enough to be given another start. And whether that's Friday or Saturday, whatever they want to do with Kyle Gibson, 
he should start at Wrigley Field next weekend. And he should start until he shows that he shouldn't be starting. And what that means for Grayson Rodriguez, I don't know. But that was good enough that he continues to start. And again, they've got to start dealing with some of these other issues like Tyler Wells. And, you know, maybe they use the off day today to reset with Ty- Tyler Wells, right? Maybe Tyler Wells, they want to have him start on, what would that be, Saturday instead of, you know. I mean, th- he could go Thursday because he pitched Friday. So Right, what I'm saying is yeah. right now you could reset your entire rotation. Mm. You could redo all five. And Kyle Gibson could start the – he could start on Friday after starting on Sunday. So you could reset this and start thinking about how you reset in order to make it so that you're kind of – you're going to get one less start out of Tyler Wells in this process. Gotcha. Which you would say, I see. I see. well, why yeah. would we want that? Tyler Wells is their best starter. Well, they've got to deal with it. To John Mioli's point, like, they're, you can't go from 105 to 200. Like – I was being aggressive and saying 160, 170. I think that's a lot. Yeah. Johnny only said 150, 155, somewhere in that range is more practical. Well, you're almost halfway there. So you have to think about it at some point. So do you make deliberate decisions based specifically on limiting how many times Tyler Wells goes out the pitch? And are you resetting your rotation with these Monday off days every Tuesday you reset the rotation so that Tyler Wells is the fifth guy. So he's pitching no more than once a week for a few weeks while you have these off days. And then maybe the week, was it next week, or they have two off days? Because yeah, they have yeah. Monday and Thursday. Maybe that's a week where you're skipping him altogether, right? Where, like, he doesn't pitch at all that. But you have to start thinking about these things. It can't just be, well, we'll deal with that in September. Like, you've got to start thinking about them now. And the off days present you these opportunities to limit how many starts Tyler Wells makes this month in order to try to protect him without skipping him altogether. It, like, that's the unique part. You're just not – you're not taking him out of the rotation. You're just, you know uh, – Taking advantage of the off days. and Right, and, and, and doing the math in an appropriate way to use it so that maybe he makes one less start this month than he would have without actually ever being out of the rotation. You're just resetting the rotation – in order to put him at the back end and in order to make sure he's not the guy that's doubling up. That when you have, you know, a, 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 a six games and six days stretch, he's never the guy that pitches game one and game six. That he's always only making one start in those six games. That's sort of the point that I'm making about Tyler Wells. Yeah. Uh, what, what weird, are you to... I don't know. The schedule just weird. Like, why do they? They have two games Tuesday and Wednesday at Tampa. Yes, it's just it's bizarre. I yeah. I hate I hate that no matter where it is. I always hate oh, just... what they would always do. This the Nationals, so they have yeah, these two games. Yeah, but I guess it kind of made Stupid. sense. I mean, not really. Stupid. But like, since they were so close, Stupid. like it was. But yeah, going down to Tampa for two days. Makes so so just just a useless trip. So how would it? It would be who started on Thursday? Um, started on Thursday. Was that Bradish? Uh, yeah, because Bradish slept the three runs in the first inning, and then they, they and then it was Kramer on Friday. He, no, Wells was Friday. So Wells Kramer, was Friday. Kramer should. Kramer, go, they haven't announced it. Kramer so right, Kramer would be tomorrow. Yeah, so it'd be Kramer, Bradish, Wells. Then well, Wells could start on Thursday. Yeah, my point would be throw Irvin in there. Go, yeah, go Irvin Thursday, Gibson Friday, Wells on Saturday, and then well, hang on. 
this is actually work now. I got to look because the yeah, two I mean, days off thing. You wouldn't necessarily have to do it this week, right? I guess is what we would yeah, be saying. Yeah, yeah. It'd be next week that you'd be looking at. This week you could do keep everybody, you know, in their normal rotation, and it could work out. Or if you feel the need to give Cole Irvin an extra day just to make sure he's yeah, mentally like ready. Slow down. But next week would be the week that you would kind of purposely. So if let's so what we're doing the math and we're saying that Wells would be in line to start on Thursday. Thursday. So then but rotationally he would be in line to start again on the following Wednesday. Wednesday. So you just skip. I'm saying you just reset again. Use Monday to reset. So who would be pitching after Wells? It would be probably Cr- See how this makes Irvin. it because that would be Irvin. And I don't you know that you Bradish Irvin. Th- this Tampa. is why I want to start thinking about it now because I don't know that you would want to necessarily do that with Irvin, right? Yeah. So I would start thinking about setting your rotation the way that you want it to be in order to use that week to set an off so, yeah. day. So if you bump Gibson up a day, then you, then you could go Bradish-Gibson in the two Tampa games. Correct. Yeah. And then have the off day, come back home, let Irvin or Wells, whoever yeah. it would be, start then, and just not use Wells for those two games in Tampa. I know this all comes off very convoluted because <laughs> I'm not doing my math well. No, I think I mean, I mean the, the bigger I'm picture is that so you that deliberately use a scenario by which – it's not just these five guys in order because you're presenting it to give yourself the opportunity to not start Wells. Now, somebody would say Tampa's not the place where you – like, if you got to play two games in Tampa, yeah. you kind of want, want Tyler Wells. Wells or one of those two games, right? Like, that's the other – the damnedest part about having this conversation. Very frustrating. So when do you play a crap team and have an off day to work with? Uh, I mean, I mean, what do we consider the Cubs a, a, yeah. a not good team right now? Right Seattle, now, Seattle and Cincinnati, yeah. but both of or I mean, Cincinnati's playing red hot right now. Yeah, they are red hot. And La De, De La Cruz is there now. I guess Minnesota because yeah, you got the ten game homestand or nine game homestand against Seattle, Cincinnati. We've, we've gone to the All Star break. Like we've totally we've gotten to the All Star break, and we're like we don't have an an, an ideal answer yet. You just might have to sit Tyler Wells in Tampa. Like I, I just think you have to be considering the innings thing at some point. You have to think about it. And I, Tampa's not an ideal team for it to happen against, but you know, if it means that Gibson makes a start instead of Wells, I can maybe live with that, right? Yeah. Like it's not you're not Tyler Wells is your best starter at the moment, but Gibson's been consistent enough that I could live with Gibson making the start against Tampa. Just those, all those games against Tampa feel like they matter. Yeah, very. I mean, I guess it is helpful that you'll be able to kind of rely heavily rely on the bullpen for those two days since you have an off day yeah, surrounding that's true. both. That is true. Uh, quickly, uh, Novak Djokovic, twenty third Slam title, a slightly more compelling match than I expected it to be, even though it was straight sets. Um, Rude put some fight up early, had an early break, and you were like, "Wow, there could be something here." <laughs> nope, there was not. Um, I, it's very difficult to have this conversation because I've said for some time that I think Novak Djokovic proved that he was the greatest player of all time a few years ago because of the head-to-heads. And I almost said I don't know that the, the slam titles were actually going to matter. So I'm the wrong, if, if now's the time where you're saying to yourself, does this prove that Novak Djokovic is the greatest player of all time? I had kind of accepted that some time ago. It was more an anomaly that with Djokovic sideline, Nadal was able to jump back up, win a couple of slams, and... You know, create some distance, but since since that, all three of them have gone Djokovic's way. The more compelling, the, the three that he were able to, he was able to play, and he didn't play in the U.S. Open last year. Um, the more compelling argument to me, or discussion about Djokovic, is whether or not he legitimately could win the Calendar Grand Slam this year. He, of course, came sh- fell short in 2021. 
got to the final of the U.S. Open and then melted down against Neil Medvedev, which is unfair because everybody thinks it was just about the moment. Maybe the moment had something to do with it, but Medvedev was playing brilliantly in that point, and you know, Rosenthal and I, Greg Rosenthal and I both thought that Medvedev was going to win that U.S. Open. Like He was just playing so bloody well that we didn't think it mattered that Novak Djokovic had won the three slams that year. Um, the Alcaraz thing is alarming. Like, you know, I wasn't here on Friday uh, because of a, I was at a funeral. Alcaraz wilting because of cramps is is so weird. I mean, it's just so weird. I, I get it. He was coming back from an injury earlier this year. He's still working his way back, and you got to be at a different level of fitness for a Djokovic match. I just, dude, he's so young. Right. Like that. It is weird that it would happen that way. Alcaraz, to me, is still the best player in the world at the moment. But, you know, you're measuring that against the greatest player of all time. I still think that I would favor Alcaraz to win one of the next two slams over Djokovic. But he's got to be far more physically prepared for what it is that it, it takes. You know, like he had won the only other meeting that he had had against Djokovic, but it was a three-setter. So you got to be prepared for five hours. You saw, you know, it was really funny yesterday when Djokovic was complaining to the ball kid about when they were, or not, I'm sorry, to the umpire, about when they were starting the clock between, um, uh, for sit-down, for lay, uh, changeovers. Like, Djokovic was saying, let us sit down before you start the clock. Don't start the clock immediately when the game is over. And what you you heard him saying as they were picking up the audio on NBC of, of his exchange with the umpire was, dude, it's the first set. We're already an hour, 20 minutes into the match. And in his mind, even though obviously it was never going to get to that point because he won straight sets, he was prepared for, I might have to be out here for five hours today. And he was prepared for that because he's had to do it before. He's had to play those matches against Nadal. He's had to play those matches in his career. And that's what Alcaraz has to be prepared for. Like, he's got to be in physical shape for five, six hours of grueling long-point tennis. He is brilliant. I mean, he he makes shots that are impossible. And you saw him fight back in the second set against Djokovic, and you thought that he was ready for... Dude, we could you know, be prepared. We could be here all day. And admittedly, I didn't get to watch the third and fourth sets because that's when I was at the funeral. But, you know, in finding out what had happened, it's very disappointing. It's very disappointing that it happened for physical reasons, that he just started cramping up and he didn't have it in him because of it. So I think Alcaraz will be able to win one of the next two. It's still very difficult to win all four in a calendar year. It's insane that we're talking about a 36-year-old having the chance to do it. But... You know, the way he's playing, I, I sure as hell can't write it off. I, I don't know what would have happened if Alcaraz had been fully healthy. I would have favored Alcaraz to win the match, and he had just won the second set, but I can't tell you that Djokovic wouldn't have won the match against a healthy Alcaraz, and he definitely has a chance to do it. There is no question that Novak Djokovic could win all four this year, which would just be bat-ass insane. I mean, utterly, completely insane. And then you start thinking about, like, having the opportunity to put some distance on Nadal for slam titles. Like, to make it so that it's an impossible... We thought 
you know, these numbers that these guys have won are insane. But if he can get to 25, 26 in the next couple of years, Christ. It's not just that Nadal ain't catching him. Like, Nadal might still have a chance to win the French next year if he's healthy, maybe. Like, maybe he could still, at, you know. Is it really even real? I mean, because Joker's a year younger than Nadal, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so, like, it, it, like, Nadal could still have more longevity than Joker? Or? No, not more longevity. No, I'm not saying Nadal could catch him. No, There's no way Nadal's going to end up catching Djokovic okay. if Djokovic keeps winning slams. Nadal, I would think, still has a chance at the French. If he comes back and is healthy next year. Gotcha. But that's it. Like, I can't, I, I know it was amazing that he won the Australian last year, but like, I can't, in a, in a normal world, with a Djokovic playing against him and Alcaraz the way that he's playing at this point, having already broken through, I can't assume that Dahl can win anything other than the French at this point. Gotcha. So Joker needs to not win anything else for, for him to even, even have a chance, chance to, to okay. me, to catch up. Okay. That I'm sense. saying Djokovic now has the opportunity to start putting distance on anyone in the future. Gotcha. That might threaten this number. Okay. Like, Anyone in the world that could get, I think he's got an opportunity to get to 25, 26 and start separating himself in a way that we, we didn't think possible. Um, and in a, a neat moment, you know, the Belmont obviously lost a lot of its luster because there was no Triple Crown. And every year that that happens, we kind of check out a little bit on the Belmont. Um, the story of Jenna Antonucci who is the first ever female trainer to win a triple crown race is really cool. Um, I, I, I'm not going to pretend like I knew much about Arcangelo and I didn't even put a Belmont bet in, but it was a pretty good field with Forte in it and national treasure was in the field and tap it Trice. I mean, that was a good field for the Belmont. Um, an awesome story. She had worked with D Wayne Lucas for years, but uh, makes history, becomes the first ever female trainer to win a Triple Crown race as Arcangelo wins the Belmont. So congratulations to Jenna Antonucci. The neat story, just with most of us kind of checked out, unfortunately, because that's what we do with the Belmont when there's no Triple Crown at stake. Let's get a tidbit. Tidbit is brought to you today by the print issue of Pressbox. Final days. Final days. It's going to be gone by Thursday at the latest where you are. So... Go out and get it now, the Pipeline Primer issue of Pressbox before it's gone. Free at your neighborhood Royal Farms, any of the hundreds of locations around town where you find Pressbox. Read it all, pressboxonline.com. Wake Forest, they advanced to the College World Series for the first time. Wagons, since, man. Yeah, they really are. I mean, since uh, since they won the national championship in 1955, that was the last time that they were in the College World Series. Their plus 59 run differential is the largest of any team entering the College World Series. Yes. It, it sort of makes it feel a little bit better about what yeah. happened in Maryland, but at the same time, they also lost to George Mason. Like right. You can't really feel good about that. And, you know, I, whatever. if you've not been – look, I don't know why anybody would care about the College World Series at this point. Alabama played them close on Friday night. College World Series, great. Come on. I, but around here, it just yeah. does not register. Um, Alabama played them close on Friday night. It was a one-run game. And then they turn around, because in the Super Regional, it's just a best of three between two teams. They turn around the next day and won 22 to 5. Yikes. Yeah. They have one one run game they on hit, Friday. They hit nine home runs yesterday, which is tied for the most ever in a tournament uh, game. Other than that one run game on Friday, they played five games in the NCAA tournament. All four of the other games have been double digit deficits, or double digit. Yeah, margins. Yeah, yeah, margins is what double, I meant. Yeah, ten run wins. Yes, or, um, well, or more right. significant. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, second team to do that uh, in four tournament games. The other team was the 1997 LSU Tigers. Okay. 
Uh, also yesterday in the college baseball world, Quinn Matthews, what we're talking about, pitchers, college college arms maybe that the Orioles might want. Uh, Quinn Matthews had 16 strikeouts in a complete game win for Stanford in an elimination game against Texas. So they have a game three tonight. He's the first pitcher with 16 or more strikeouts in a Super Regional since Kumar Rocker had 19 and a no-hitter in 2019. And you see how well it worked out for Kumar Rockers. Yeah, so. yeah. Maybe it's okay, so maybe not. He, he's, he's also rated really low. He's like the 119th like prospect on OMB.com right now in the draft. So so he'd definitely be around for the Orioles. But the a- the A's, they won five straight. They're red hot, the Oakland Athletics. Uh, sure. <laughs> before this five-game Has history. Hasn't uh, former Terp Kevin Smith made some noise the last couple of days? Has he? I guess. He uh, sh- let's go with sure. All right. You they don't had know. A I don't know. Of course. Uh, they had a 194 win percentage before the they went on this five game uh, little little heater. Uh, that is the most consecutive wins by a team under. I am wrong. He's not been producing the last okay. few days, and okay. he's hitting 191 for the season. That's disappointing. Uh, slightly lower than their win percentage. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that is the most conse- consecutive wins by a team to have a, a below 200 win percentage uh, since the Louisville Colonels in 1895. Okay. So the, so the A's trying to make some history. Okay. Right. Uh, and the Royals now threatening them to, to dethrone them for worst team in baseball. Iga Fiontek, did I say that right? Yes, that's okay. correct. She uh-huh. is 4-0 in major finals. That is the She is the only player to win each of their first four majors since these three others did it. Who are the three others that went 4-0 in their first four majors? I don't... I mean, major finals, sorry, major finals. This, major is, a very, finals. this is a very specific... Um, well, Naomi. Naomi, definitely. Naomi mm-hmm. Osaka, yes. for sure. So Osaka That's... went 4-0 in her first four major finals. One more man, one more woman. One more man, one more woman. One more man, one more... I'll say Federer, just because the competition wasn't very good at that point. You are correct, Roger yeah. Federer. 4-0 in his first four whereas, major finals. Whereas Nadal and Djokovic had to go against Federer and Nadal... Like Federer won his, I think one of his first was against Agassi at the end of Agassi's career at the U.S. Open, when like jerk that was back when they played on back-to-back days and they made Agassi play the second semifinal, which was just so insane because he was the TV draw at that time, and so Federer got the cruise. Um, who's the other woman? It's not Serena or Venus because they had to go against each other. That's at- correct. Venus would have been more likely than Serena, but it, I don't think it was either one of them. It's not either. It's definitely one. not Serena, and I don't think it was Venus. Um, so then you want to say Steffi Graf, but all right, Steffi Graf. It was not Steffi Graf. Monica Seles. Monica Seles. Four yeah. in her first four majors at 22. Sviatek is the youngest women's four-time major champion since 20-year-old Serena Williams. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Uh, and then uh, Gunnar obviously hit the largest, longest home run that we've ever seen on the Utah streets. Uh, Pete Gilbert put together the six I did longest. S- I saw that. I don't know if I remember them all. Okay. Like I remember Jim Tomey being on the list. Jim Tomey is sixth, has the sixth longest. The the next five guys are all between 440 and 430, <sighs> uh, 443 feet. God. So Jim uh, Tomey's sixth. It was Santander, Santander, right? Santander had the number two, August of 2021. Josh Hamilton. Josh Hamilton's on the list. 2012. Was that his four home run game? That one Might have been. I think the four no. home run game was before 2012, Yeah, I think it was right? before 2012, okay. too. In 2012, though, May 2012, he had a 442-foot shot. I know that I remember who the other ones were. I did see this. I did see his tweet, but I just don't know that I remember who the other two were. Two more. They're both on the same franchise, but different cities. 
Oh, well, Adam Dunn. Adam, Adam Dunn, Dunn and then, with the and then Washington Montreal. Who are the Montreal? God, I don't even remember Montreal coming to Baltimore is the funny part. <laughs> they did on June 17th, 1997. Well, I mean, it's, <laughs> it couldn't be Vlad. Um, no. Left-handed. I don't know that I'm going to come up with it. Left-handed Montreal. It's too much for me to add. Henry to Rodriguez. Oh, Henry. Oh, Henry. Henry Rodriguez, yes. Henry Rodriguez. Um, and then he held that title. And he had a, a summer. Time. Oh, did he have a summer? He had like a year when like, it looked like he was going to be a superstar. And they were literally like selling O. Henry candy bars. It was a whole. They was, were throwing them at yeah, him, right? Yeah, it, like, was, it, was, it like, was a wild summer, man. It was it, like when people say Montreal's not a baseball city, you're like, dude, that, that place, when baseball was good, that place was electric electric in Montreal for baseball. All right, uh, Tubular. Tubular is brought to you by your local Toyota dealer, buyatoyota.com. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a range of models and trim lines, so you can choose the perfect Tacoma to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. No Orioles tonight. NBA Finals Game 5. 8.30 on ABC as the Nuggets look to close out the heat in Denver. If you want some baseball, MLB Network, Angels, Rangers at 8, MLB.TV, Rockies, Red Sox at 7, ESPN Plus, Reds, Royals at 8, USA Network for WWE, Monday Night Raw at 8, and that's about it. Non-sports. I mean, I don't. I won't include that until we get to the World Series. Okay, fine. No, yes. Nothing. American Ninja Warrior is one of the That's something, clock. yes. That's NMB. it? Yeah, that's it. All right. Unless you want to come back for the next episode of Stars on Mars. I'm going to pass, but if you want to include it, that's fine. Thanks to everybody at PressBox. You know, I need to thank our guests. Thanks today to Carlos Colazzo of Baseball America. Thanks to John Mioli of The Banner and to Cordell Woodland. We'll get it all up in the greatest hit section of the... Oh, my God, it's so good. ...tab at Tomorrow on the program, as I mentioned, Jackson Holiday will join us. Um, Dennis Martinez. Oh, El Presidente. He was in Baltimore over the weekend. It was great to see him. Uh, see what he thinks about the young birds and... Stuff and things. Stuff and things. Preview Toronto series. Stuff and things. Oh, yeah, we do need to do that. All right, thanks, everybody, at PressBox, all of our great sponsors and partners, including the Baltimore Orioles and Glory Days Grill, Royal Farms, Costa Sin, All-American Lacrosse, Birdland Sports, your local Toyota dealer, buyatoyota.com. Thanks to Griffin at Griffin underscore Bass. Follow us, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at Glenn Clark Radio. Have a great Monday evening. Go nobody. Duke sucks.